0: We're hot.
1: Hot. Cooney. What up? I'm going to need you help on this uh, intro.
2: Well, I'm here.
1: Do you realize you are in the midst of podcast royalty? <laughs> <laughs> have Have you ever been in a real studio? No. Well, for somebody who has been in a real studio, I'm here to tell you this is a real studio.
2: Yeah, I can tell.
1: <laughs> we uh. <laughs> Lifelong friends, uh, family members to me and Cooney both. Uh, former Navy SEAL, Ultra Runner, former competition coon hunter, a brother in Christ, Mr. Chad Wright to my right, another family member, Ultra Runner as well. Yeah. Former law enforcement officer. Father of two, another brother in Christ, Mr. Blake Wright. What you think, Cooney?
2: Sounds like it's
1: going to be fun. Every time we come up here, man, we come through a tornadic supercell. We
3: do. <laughs> Kat every just time. said, she said, every time corn comes up here,
1: it's raining. I, I'm talking about, <laughs> and it's not, and Cooney said, and it ain't just raining. It's, it's poor, storming, lightning, wind blowing. What is up with that?
2: And it seems like every time we're the ones stuck out in it, Chad and Blake's all cooped up in the house. Oh, you're talking about like that turkey hunt. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we got it
0: figured
3: out, son. (laughs) I think it's got to do with Cooney, though, because me and you went on several turkey hunts up here. Yeah. And and some nice Nice weather. weather.
1: Birds chirping. Yeah.
3: Turkeys wasn't gobbling, but the songbirds was chirping. Sure was. Don't be blaming me for the weather. Something up with you and that air conditioner.
1: Might be. So, do you feel comfortable around these family members? Everybody's talking about how much Cooney don't talk. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm going to ask these two guys to help me push you into talking. You Are you ready to be pushed? Yeah. This ain't no joke here, son, that you in a real studio. I didn't know any of them was a joke. You
0: see that <laughs> camera over there? That camera's pointed at you. We're, yeah. we're recording just you. Just you. Yeah, just
4: me.
1: And,
3: and, 4K, son. We're going to put that on our YouTube channel. <laughs> I,
1: I remember one time somebody said, don't be a fat hog, son. <laughs> do, you, do you notice these cut-out sleeves Cooney's got
0: on, on his shirt? Hey, I ain't
2: on my sleeves all day.
0: If he's been in that tractor, open cab tractor, uh, all day in this daggone humidity.
1: Yeah, but no joke.
0: I'm going to tell you, man, I know you know about this, Brian, but Cooney, I don't know if you've learned it yet. A button-down, long-sleeve shirt is cooler yeah. in the summertime. it's Now, it's got to be a thin fabric, right? But it's cooler in the summertime than a cut-off or a tank top, cut sleeve, anything. Yeah. I don't know how. When that thing gets soaked with sweat, it's like mm-hmm. air conditioning. Anywhere it touches your skin, it keeps you right. cool all the way down your arms. It keeps the sun off of you. You know, when I go run the Mid-State Mile here in a few weeks, that's what I'm going to be wearing out there. And people will look at me like I'm a dumb idiot. They do every time I wear it out there, but they ain't figured it out because they most of them have never worked. You know, ultra running as a sport is generally filled with pacifists that have never really had much calluses on their hands uh, as a whole. But, I, I mean, I'm not speaking for everyone. There are some good dudes that, right. that and, and girls that do run ultra. But generally, you know, it's the vegan pacifist
5: crowd. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like th- Cooney. Right. Yeah. Just like Cooney. <laughs>
1: the, the kid the,
2: wearing the meat market hat. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the the thing about them long sleeve shirts where we work, the dust is so bad. If you get that shirt wet, you you just a walking mudslide. <laughs> Oh, exactly. <laughs> it, it ain't helping at all
3: i bet that dust is rough right now ain't
0: it oh yeah big time are y'all worried about breathing that stuff in at all i mean
1: <clears throat> just like i was telling y'all about cooney breathing that dust in a while ago blaming it on his sinuses on the air conditioner. daddy is more worried about me breathing the dust
2: in than he is himself
1: well it's none cause the... he's a daddy yeah that's right <laughs> nonetheless I, I i tell him if you're supposed to be wearing a mask son I shouldn't have to hunt you down and make you wear it, but what do you think he does when he gets out of my out of my sight? Pulls nope. it off, no mask.
2: He just gets so hot.
1: Yeah,
5: but it, you're, you're,
1: like I told him, he's gonna be thinking that when he's taking his last breath at forty years old and saying, "I should have wore a mask." A dust. It, mask. You
0: know, hey, it's hard to get us country folks to wear a damn mask. No, you're right. <laughs> exactly. you, you
1: you were right about that.
0: Even, even when we actually need one. Yeah. <laughs> Even when it's legit. Uh-huh.
1: Three of seven project. Y'all are doing some awesome work. Uh, um we we hit all y'all's podcasts up. One of y'all pick who wants to explain three of seven. The 3 of 7 Project.
0: Yeah, Blake, you can explain it, man. I have to explain it about three times a day, so I want to hear your version of it. Bro. Yeah, I just explained it to a lady at the gym today. Did you really? Yeah. That's awesome. And well, well, that's why we named it that. It's because people have to ask,
3: what does it mean? Right. Yeah. So at 3 of 7 Project, we believe that everybody is comprised of a body, soul, and spirit. There are three parts, so that's where the three comes from. The seven is the number for completion, both in the Bible and in numerology. So... Essentially, we provide experiences, podcasts. Everything we do focuses on making people or helping people complete themselves. So when we interview people, we try to find the most complete people that we can and figure out what they're doing in their life to complete themselves. When we host the Proven Ground or the Basic Course, we're not only working on providing things for them to get better physically, but there's also a spiritual aspect to it. And then they're nourishing their soul as well by having to push into those uncomfortable
1: limits. Right now, now you was uh, just like the rest of us, come up working construction. Mm -hmm. You're you're full time three or seven. You want to talk about a little bit about what led you to do that?
3: Yeah, man, it was. uh, You know, I started policing. That was my first real job, right? I mean, I was cooking in a restaurant and things like that, but my first real job was a police. And I found a lot of fulfillment in that, but the money just wasn't there. I mean, when I left, I was, I'd only been there two years, but I was on the SWAT team and FTO and everything I could do at that point in my career or in my time as a policeman. And I think I was making less than $15 an hour when I, When I quit, you know, we didn't have kids then, but I knew that was something we wanted to do. And so the opportunity came up to go into construction and make a lot more money. So that's what I did. And I don't regret doing it, but that whole time there, I wasn't necessarily fulfilled. I was, I was in construction about five years doing erosion control and it was a really good schedule, really good money. Uh, My wife got to stay at home with the kids. So a lot of really good things happened then, but I just... You know if you I say my happy tank wasn't full, right, right you know right. every morning i I didn't dread going to work but I was just like I knew there was something more and then there was a point before three or seven where I said what was fulfilling me at when I was policing and why is it missing now and you know really what I found is I just like to help people like if if I can make an impact on someone's life and then I can see the result of it I don't have to every time but if I can see the result of that then that fuels me to want to keep doing it It makes me feel good and it's not all about feeling good but that's just what I'm called to do I'm called to encourage and help people I mean and that's it so I saw I thought well this is the job I'm in the people I'm around right now it's just where I'm supposed to be you know I believe that I was there for a reason so I thought who can I impact or how can I impact these people I'm talking to every day? I know I don't want to always be here, but I'm here now, so let me make the most of it and do what I'm supposed to do there. So there's a period of time before 307 project, maybe I don't know, maybe a year or two. We uh, we started a little Bible study where we met every morning or once a week in the morning at Chick-fil-A. And uh, we I would lead a Bible study for whoever wanted to join from the from TEC is where it was, and so I did some things like that, and then 307 Project came up, and I found a lot of fulfillment in that, of course, you know, I mean, this is, this is it, you know, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and, but by doing both of them, working full-time at TEC, and also doing 307, I didn't really feel like, I mean, it was, I was fifty percent of it, right? I mean, me and Chad started this, we're partners in it and but when you can't commit fully to it, you don't feel fully invested, you know. Right, right. So um for what, probably I guess it's about two, two and a half years I did that. It Maybe. may have been. I mean It's, it's at just, least two years. It's
0: interesting to me how he said three or seven project came up. <laughs> a little more to it than that. It just, oh, it just came. Uh, yep, here it is. I know I'm, this is fun for me, man. Well, I'm so, not
3: talking about the. Yeah, yeah.
0: I know. I get it. I know. I'm just, I, I'm just thinking back through it in my head too. Oh yeah, and yeah, and I don't want to make the whole podcast about three or seven project, but yeah, I, I don't know. It maybe it was. No, I don't think it was two years, Blake. I think it was really maybe it was a year and a half, maybe yeah. close to two years. Yeah,
3: yeah. it was pushing it. Uh, But anyways, for that time, you know, that's what I wanted, and I still had to keep checking myself because I would find that I was wanting that so much, and I was almost putting that above everything else that I shouldn't have, like I was striving so hard, and so I'd constantly have to check myself back and say, no, you do that when you can, this is, you know, this is where you're at. I mean, that's, that's what paid the bills, that's where I was at, so... Speaking of T, speaking about TC, that was right. where I was at. Right. And so, yeah, when the opportunity came up that we thought we would be able to uh, to swing it, I jumped on it. I mean, it was a, a – I didn't think twice about it, but there were some th- thoughts that kind of crept in and, and, you know, would think, well, is this going to work? Are you going to be able to provide for your family? Are you going to have security? By the way, security is false right no matter where you're at so uh that i kind of just kind of came to realize that and so yeah i thought what can we do to so that i can put as least as little amount of strain on three or seven as i can and so we sold our house we downsized and you know probably i don't know 1200 square foot smaller house by moving here um we paid our cars off with the money we made off of the house, and um, we just got rid of a lot of junk, right, you know, right. that could be seen as making sacrifices and, you know, hey, you're going to have to live a different life. But, man, it has been way better than what I was living before with anything extra that I had. And, right. you know, just kind of a lesson in that is you start trimming trimming the fat and you think you're you're running lean and don't have as much, man. You feel so much better right. when you don't have all the material crap in your life that's cluttering up everything. So, yeah, I mean, I think to to answer your question, that's that's a long way to answer your question, but that's kind of the backstory of it. When I got to that point, that's how we made the transition, and I, you know I was all
1: about it. Right. right, Chad? Do you you do you you look at as three or seven? Do you look at it as a ministry?
0: Um, I, I think it definitely has a, it definitely has a deep thread or vein that is ministry in it, right? But I think that God's given us a unique ability to um, minister, if you will, to a very secular audience, and that's what kind of that's what kind of makes us different from what you would say what you would call traditionally a ministry, I will say the ministry aspect of three of seven project is what drives me right? Uh, uh, completely. I mean, um, you know, I, I get retired. I'm retired from the military. I get uh, retirement from them. I get $4,000 a month from the military. I can live off of that. And so that allows me to basically work for three work, four three a seven project for free um i mean it uh, the business helps in some aspects of my life like i i drive a a suburban like the nicest vehicle i've ever drove that's the company's vehicle but i get to drive it right so it, it it the business provides things for me in life that i need but i don't take a paycheck from the business and um so for me i i came to the realization once we really got rolling with this and this was really something that we're in here every day we probably i mean some weeks we work 60 70 hours a week probably if you want to include all aspects of what we do and um i realized that you know i'd find myself at times really when the money was rolling in getting really focused on like on the on the financial aspect of the business and and making money and and then i would just get i would I I'd, I'd get burned out. Right. And um, I'd have to you know shift my focus from that aspect of business to uh, the mission which is the the ministry aspect of 307 project. That is the ultimate mission. And um, when I do that I get I get really that really energizes me to be mission focused. So you could call it a ministry if you want. I I I really even hate to put a label on it because it goes out to so many people um atheists, diagnostics mm-hmm. um all, all these people will will are, are hearing a gospel message that uh otherwise I think would be very closed off to it and it's just a real unique place that we're in but that is what sustains me because I put out a lot man right right I mean y'all might y'all might think this is stupid I mean I'm a I'm a SEAL. I've been all over the world. I've done crazy stuff, dangerous stuff, uh, done some of the hardest stuff in the world. But for me, going to give a going to give a one hour speech to a, a crowd of a thousand people and then getting done with the speech and having to shake everybody's hand and, and talk to everybody and you know, everybody's constantly looking up to you and, and asking you for advice and you know, doing two or three of these you know, a day plus podcasting plus all this stuff, it really, really drains me, man. It drains me. Right. And um, but I have to step back and say, if I don't do this, like woe is me if I don't do this, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I really believe that. Right. I don't think anybody else in the
1: world can do what we do. Oh, that I I believe you're right. You know, the reason I asked that question is when y'all had me on the podcast and I, I gave some testimony on some different things, the outreach from the people that already listened to y'all and already knew y'all on that side. Cause I've, I've known y'all pretty much the majority of y'all's lives. Mm-hmm. I've known y'all all of Cooney's life. Yeah. Yeah. Cooney was a remember Cooney was a little video old not head. no, I, I remember I mean, when I he actually, was born. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that reached out. And, and the way God moved through that, I feel 100% that there's a lot of people that, that look at y'all, and the people I've turned on, hey, check it out, the guys had me on here, that just get absolutely blown away by not only the message of that one, but they're going back and listening to y'all's entire library. And when you can get some 295-pound hillbillies to listen to some dudes talking about <laughs> running – you know what i'm saying you've got some message behind it and what i'm getting at there's a drive behind and you i know you've probably told this story nine million times so only indulge in what you want there's a drive behind chad that is like no other so if you want to talk about your navy seal or whatever but your mentality of you ain't going to quit this this is going to be here regardless we know it you're going to do it the the entire time you want to talk a little bit about that mentality maybe where it come from what it's led you through to to where you're at now
0: yeah totally man and and you're right i mean uh, that and and by saying by saying like uh, the fo- uh, foundational principle of my life is that that i'm not going to quit uh, and you know, there's a lot wrapped up to that, into that. And what does that really mean? It doesn't, it, saying that you're never going to quit doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to achieve success or reach your goal. A lot of times that's not going to happen, right? What never quitting looks like is you drawing on every remaining ounce of strength that you have to get up every time you get knocked down and just keep freaking coming, dude. And that's all I've done my whole life uh, since I was 18 years old and I went in the SEAL teams, not, not really knowing how, how to how to swim, not not knowing how to run, not knowing how to do anything that I needed to know how to do, going into this crucible that was the hardest military training in the free world, and um, you know that that was the ingredient that got me through that. Uh, one of the main ingredients was was just I kept, dude. I remember one time in SEAL training. Um, of course, I, I've been. I, because of the way I talk, the way I look, my posture's a little slouchy. I've got a strong accent. My necks burn red, uh, you know, and, and and I'm in SEAL training amongst these men that are, you know, pre, the premier athletes, the cream of the crop from American society. And uh, I remember one time we were doing, uh, uh we had these telephone poles. All right, and it was a, a section of telephone pole. I don't know how long it was, 12, 14 feet long. And as a boat crew, you had to hold this telephone pole right here like this, front carry basically. So you wrapped your arms around the pole and you hold it—you held it right here at chest height. And um, the pole was heaviest on the ends. So you're, you're, you carried that thing as a boat crew, right? You had six or eight guys that right. would hold it front carry. And... Uh, for this particular evolution, you we 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 did a walking lunge, so you know what a lunge looks like, yeah. a walking lunge. We walk and lunge this telephone pole in the front carrier position, uh, for four miles in the soft sand. And uh, during this evolution, I had a, a teammate of mine, um, ran up a hundred nine degree fever, burned his brain up. I remember seeing him flopping around on the sand. He's he's messed up now for the rest of his life. Wow. Um, you know, I still remember seeing him. He, it was like he was freaking just – it was like he was drunk. We didn't know what was wrong with him. Right. This is the kind of crap that happens out here, man. Like This training is no joke. Right. And, uh, you know, it's hot out. We're soft sand, walking lunge, four miles. We get toward the end, and uh, I was on the end of the log where the log is heaviest. And um, the – if you can take and just turn your body a little bit, you can actually – rest the end of that log right here on your shoulder so you're not holding all the weight of the log with your biceps and forearms right Right, but you're not supposed to do that but I had gotten to the point where my arms were so exhausted I was going to drop the log or I had to do that and and so I did it and I kind of prepped the log up on my shoulder and the uh, the instructor saw it this big dude man I won't say his name I don't know if he's still in the teams or not this about six four of course we looked at these guys as gods these seal instructors these were battle-hardened men that were picked as first phase buds instructors and um, he saw me do that and he came up behind me and grabbed me by the back collar of my BDUs and picked me up off the ground with one hand and just slung me down into the berm the sand as hard as he could and I hit the freaking ground dude and it it just rattled the crap out of me and you know that, that is, that's kind of embarrassing as, right. a, as a man to get manhandled like that yeah, in, front of, in front of all your teammates, right? But the reason he did that, he didn't do that because he, he, he could care less that I propped that log up on my shoulder. Really. It, he, he didn't do that because he saw me prop that log up on my shoulder. He did that. He pulled me out, humiliated me, Picked me up and slammed me into the freaking sand like a rag doll. For one reason, he wanted to see if I would get back up, or if I would just lay there. That's the only reason he did that, right? And I, I clawed my way back up off the berm, and I got right back under that log and acted like nothing ever happened, right? And he left me alone. He never want he never once said another word to me throughout the rest of first phase, because he saw that's what he was looking for. They said, This is what th- these are the kind of men we're looking for. Right. Men that can get thrown in the freaking dirt, stomped on, crushed, beat to a pulp, humiliated in front of everyone, and they still claw their way back up to their freaking feet and they get under the load and they carry their load as best they possibly can. And that's all it takes to be successful in life. If you can do that, and we can all do that, it right. don't take nothing special to do that. All I tell you, all I am is a common human with an uncommon desire to succeed. Right. That's all that means, right?
1: That's
5: right. And,
0: and if if any one of you can do that, you cannot lose. You cannot lose. Right. You are going to get to a point like I got to in SEAL training, where you look around you, and there's nobody left. Right. Because so many people don't get back up, and You know, we started with 300 of these guys. We graduated with 18 at the end of six months. And this was all it took is just to keep getting back up, man. It's so simple. Right. It's so simple to me. You you, you, Literally, that single ingredient, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be fast. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be any of that. With that single ingredient, you cannot fail at any endeavor that you embark on in life. I truly believe that.
1: Um. You know. Did, did you get that message, Coney? Yeah. I think Cooney's hung up on them lunges he was talking about. Yeah.
2: Lunges yeah. ain't for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a I'm telling you, man, that was a brute that was brutal. I'll never forget that day. Right. It was probably hundred degrees out full, long sleeve BDUs. Um, you know, and that was just one single example of right. SEAL training. That right. you know, not to even speak of Hell Week. I right. mean, that's a whole nother on a whole nother level, but you know, I guess the other aspect of me being a SEAL, what, what makes, I guess, makes my story unique is um, I was actually disqualified from ever becoming a SEAL, and, um, and this happened to me kind of on the last day of boot camp. They pulled me out of formation and brought me to the doc, the, the dive medical officer, the doctor, and uh, the doctor proceeded to tell me that they had found a seven-centimeter pericardial cyst on my heart. Uh, they found that through a chest x-ray uh, when they were running me through this dive physical and the docs just said hey man you know this is asymptomatic but uh we're worried that when you dive underwater as a combat diver that the pressure change is going to burst that cyst on your heart right and so there i was getting knocked in knocked knocked down man like right. everything that i had uh aspired to be was yeah. just taken from and you'd me.
1: already had time how, how how many months in the navy you had already been
0: i had well leading up to it uh plus time and boot camp i probably had five six months invested in this what
1: was that guy's name that uh you did some pre-training before you uh frank cutler that was a wild dude yeah in your face type guy he, he, I, yeah I, he come over to your house a few times when yeah. i was there but you know
0: frank, wide open. as wild as frank was i mean frank was one of the people one of the few people in my life that believed in me for some reason, he had no reason to, but because I, I dang sure didn't have the resume or the background. I mean, nobody makes it through the SEAL training, dude. And he believed in me. He always has. He's my friend of this day. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, they, th- there again, they told me, no, I had to get out of the Navy completely. And uh, I had to have uh, my own heart surgery out here, back out here as a civilian right back here in, in my hometown. Well, you know, Atlanta. And, uh, I, I let them cut my chest open and take this cyst off my heart just so I might be able to get back in the Navy. See, when the Navy cut me loose, they didn't say, if you have this surgery, you can come back. They just said, catch you on a flip flop, bud. Right. You know? Right. So I, I had the surgery and, uh, submitted my paperwork back to the Navy Luckily, they let me back in, but they they didn't tell me that I was going to go to SEAL training. They just said, we'll let you back in and into the regular Navy. I came back in the regular Navy, and uh, I spent about five months in a open bay holding unit. Open bay means it's a bunch of bunk beds and a bunch of dudes living in this one single big room. Didn't have anything. Literally, a bunk, the bunk bed raised up, and you had a little, little box there where you could— store a pair of shoes and a few pairs of clothes. That's all I had. And, um, I sat in there for about five months while the Navy, the Navy doctors all the way up, you know, the chain of command reviewed my case and then finally blessed me off to at least go and get a chance to go through SEAL training. And it was a blessing because if, I, if I'm going to be honest with you guys, if I would have went through, if I would have got to go to SEAL training that first time, I don't think I would have made it through. I really don't. What had happened through this process and, and patience is one of the pillars of my life. And part of patience is being patient with the process that you're enduring as a human being in order to become the person that you were created to be. And so I was patient enough with this process, right? And I went through this, this heart surgery, through all this being told no, through all these highs, through all these lows, t- you know, gambling, everything. And, right, and so when I finally got on the start line of SEAL training of BUDS, um, I was, felt like I was literally so, so entrenched in this path that I had chosen to take and I had stayed on it for, I had stayed with it for so long that I was just so entrenched in it. I, I couldn't deviate. Right. Even if I, there, there was nothing in me that would allow me to stop, to quit, to turn right or left. It's, it's a strange feeling because I think we all think as humans, we have, we we have free will, right? But this was a strange feeling because it was like my free will had been taken from me. And I was entrenched in this path and, and I couldn't deviate from it. Right. So I, I literally think that only uh, the only thing that would have stopped me would have been a physical death or, you know, something like that. Right. And, and I was willing to pay that price.
1: Right. I um, mean, I was. Right. Well, um, I, it, I it's fact evident, but I've I've seen it. You know what I mean? These people are hearing it. And, you know, of course, people ask me about you all all the time that listen to the podcast. And it's I mean, that. Everything he said is the real deal. I'm 100%. Cooney, you know that. Cooney ain't saying oh, yes. nothing. Um, He's got his mic too high.
0: Pull that mic down, Cooney. Get comfortable, man. Ch-
1: now, Chad is. I've heard Chad get on a lot of people about the mic. Oh, yeah. You are, You are. <laughs> Chad, are. Chad's a perfectionist. <laughs> you You are in a real studio, Cooney.
0: <laughs> hey, the whole point of, of recording a podcast is to capture the stream of audio coming out of your right. mouth. So if the mic's not right... Might as well
1: not even be recording a podcast. Yep. That's right. Blake, one time, now we've all hunted and we we ain't really fished much together. We ain't much
0: on that fishing bit, We about now. to though, ain't
1: we? We about to man me and we about to get down in the Gulf. The Gulf. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um one time when Buck, Cooney's oldest brother, <clears throat> was was young. I brought him to to go turkey hunting with you. And I don't think if, if Buck had been hunting with anybody else other than me, it may have been shorty one time. And I don't know if you picked up on my nervousness or, or what it was. And I remember it was during spring break and I I was supposed to be off, but ended up having to work. And, uh, before, before I said bye, you said, let's pray. And that man, that got all over me. Blake, it's hard for me to talk about it without crying because when you did that, it tore me up for the entire day. And I can't even remember a single word you said in that prayer. But there's certain people for me that are a conduit of the word. Like, even if you're not talking about the word, about Christ, about you, are that for me. Did, did you pick up on that morning does anybody else tell you that i we was headed this way and i was finishing up listening to situational awareness and the way you was describing how you wanted to learn verses and i mean in the bible just that little bit tears me up I, it's hard for me to hear him talk do you get what i'm saying yeah
3: no i i, I definitely do I, I don't hear that from a lot do of people do you remember that morning i do remember yeah. that morning yeah Yeah, very specifically, and I think I did pick up a little bit uh, on your nervousness there. But you know, I that's something that I I try to be deliberate about is the opportunity to pray with other people. Like if if you see something that needs prayer, instead of saying, "Hey, man, I'll I'll pray for you," like we say that, I say it, and we hear it a lot, right? Right. But how much more powerful and impactful is if if you say, "Can I just pray with you right now?" Right. You you try it sometime. Right. If you're listening, try it sometime because it will blow people's socks off and that's not why you do it. Right. You're not doing it to impress them or anything, but it it is much more powerful to sit there and pray with somebody and Right. And that's I mean, really that's the reason I did it with you that day, you know? Right. Um because I knew I was taking taking your boy hunting. I didn't. I, I don't know that I remember. uh, Had he been with anyone else or not? Right. But but I I took that serious. You know. Yeah. I know how you feel about your boys, and you trusted me to go and take him out with a gun out in the woods hunting, and it was an opportunity for me to share right. that with you. And it's I appreciate you sharing that on. Yeah, man. I've I've, I've always. End.
1: I've even told Chad that. Remember, we had a conversation. You was living in Virginia. And I, I told Chad, I was like, man, it's, it's, it's not that I can't take it. I get so emotional, you know, when I hear yeah. you talk about it, even on the podcast. There's just something about. It's not that your voice soothes me or it's a lullaby. I mean, it just directly to me, I, like directly to my spirit. It's. Uh, I was just wondering on the way here if anybody had ever told you that. I had never heard it, man. Coney. But,
3: but I'm C- I'm glad I'm glad that you say that because how many times is someone doing something for you, and you don't share it with them? Like that encourages me. That right. that that gives me more of a reason. Not that I'm in you know about to stop doing anything, but that that drives me. That pushes me forward. So that's what I'm talking about. I like to encourage people. I think. I try to think every morning when I sit down and read my Bible, and pray to God. I, I s- always somebody pops into my head, and right. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to that person today. If right. there ain't nothing good about them, there's something that I can tell them that they're doing. Right? Hey man, I appreciate you doing this. That you know you were this in my life at some time, or y- you know, God wanted me to share this with you. Maybe you need to start working on this, whatever it is. But there's a reason that people come into my head. Right. When I'm praying. And it's, it's the point of taking that time to tell them, because if someone does something wrong that you don't like, you're going to tell them. Right. But how many times do people do things that, that we appreciate that we don't share with them? Yeah.
1: It it amazed me the, after I'd been on y'all's podcast, the amount of people that I'd known for years that I, I didn't know where they stood in their faith. Didn't knew that they believed in Jesus. It just, it, it it sort of was like a light switch that clicked for me that I'm supposed to be talking about the Lord. Because once I once I started doing it, once once that come out and people started asking me and dude, it's like everybody around me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, why yeah. is Christ, why as Christians do people don't really do that? I'm talking people I've known for twenty plus years. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying?
0: Well, I think there's a, I think there's some deep rooted uh, problems within the body of Christ, in um, and, and a- as it revolves around, re- you know, re- the religious aspects of it. I think a lot of people are turned off to it. A lot of people are embarrassed of it. Um, you know, that that's. I mean, you could do a whole podcast talking right, about right. those issues and you know, I get it, man. And I think the world is, is hungry for real men and women that serve Jesus to get up and, and talk about how they fail and how they strive and, and talk about their victories, but talk about their flaws, um, and, and just really hang it out there, man, and just be real, you know, uh, you know, that's why you know I travel around and I I, I talk it I speak at churches and stuff like this and you know there's a lot of parts of me that's heavy uh, that that's hesitant to to title myself as a preacher you know and and I, I don't I, I don't know it's it's because I get it man I mean you see leaders you see people that are revered and respected within the the the, the Christian Church the body of Christ, just go off a freaking deep end all the time, man. I mean, I just, I just heard the other day I was listening to a podcast with, um, with one of the leaders of the the Catholic church saying that they accept the basic tenets of the theory of evolution and all this freaking crap, man. It's like, you know, it's just became so marred and so watered down and, and that's not the way it's supposed to be, right. you know? And, you know, it's it's really, it's really strange. The, the comment you made about Blake, Because, you know, Blake and I were separated for our entire adult life, essentially. And so this is the first time that we've ever really worked together. And, you know, we're just now learning how to even talk to each other. Because we really have only talked to each other on a telephone for so many years. And there was a spell there of about a year, my first year here back in Georgia, that, you know, I couldn't even, I couldn't really have conversation with him or my parents or anybody because I was so used to, I could talk to him on the phone. Even if I was fifteen minutes down the road. And if I called him on the phone, I could have a deep conversation with him. But face to face, it was just really hard. And so, you know, that's a beautiful thing about another beautiful thing about this whole idea of three of seven project. It's all it's forced us to really work together, to mesh and to see uh the the gifts that that we have because him and I we're totally different right when it comes to our when it comes to the way we deliver a gospel message or the way we share our faith you know and it's it's really cool to me to see the people that he can reach that really I I, I like I can I can instill things in people but really to to touch them in a in a way you're you were talking about like i maybe I can do that to some people, but to see the people he can reach through his gifts and 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 you know his messaging and the things that you know he's passionate about it's just a totally different than what I can do. It's really cool man to to be able to see that, never right. would have thought it, you know what I mean, right. And he does this crap to me, man. He just challenged me the other day to start being nicer to people. <laughs> and you know, I, I'm doing it, man. Like, you know, we had a we had a guest. Uh, I'm I'm doing it with my wife. I'm I'm doing it with uh. We had a guest over this just yesterday or this morning, and you know, I, I, write, I wrote a handwritten note, you know, telling her, encouraging her, and and this and that. I never would have done that, like. You know, I'm reaping a lot of fruit from something that he, a very unique gift that he challenged me on. You know what I mean? Right. It's a a really wild dynamic. Cooney. Yo. (laughs) Uh,
1: What's the word count up to for Cooney? (laughs) Like seven? Twelve.
0: Well, I do talk a lot. I do talk a lot. So I got to cut Cooney a little slack.
1: It's, uh, I mean, I can put you on the spot. It, is that what you need no does it need to be put on the spot what's
3: the, What's the first uh what's the first memories you can remember <laughs> of me and chad do you remember anything like what's the earliest thing if you thought
1: uh shh, god i can't even remember so cooney was born in 04 yeah. so if y'all remember cooney being okay. born he was born in january of 04 so we i guess me and you started coon hunting in the summer of 03 yeah yeah, the summer '03. 03. I just,
2: I just remember going over to y'all's house on Red Mountain Road. Yeah, that's that's like what I remember. Uh huh. Is that I, it? I I remember one time. It was a uh, we were all it was I can't remember who all was there, but we were all playing hide and seek. And we were it was a uh, Blake and Buck and Austin, against me, Chad and Azale. And we were, we were creeping through the woods, and Azelle had on a white shirt. And we were, like, so close. We were, we were, like, really close to him, like five yards from him. And and Blake looks over, and he sees us. And Chad goes, they would have never saw off if Azelle wasn't wearing that <laughs> white shirt.
1: <laughs> Azelle in her white shirt. Oh, well, man. you know, that that made me think, because I've, I've known y'all before Cooney was at his age, that what Cooney's at now. And I've noticed Cooney's reading his Bible more, uh, doing stuff on a Bible app. And I, I really feel the work y'all are doing. I told Austin, my nephew, one time when he went into Marines, I said, you're doing the most important job in the world. But I sort of want to renege on that after what I've seen the last few months of my life. And I think I know the most important job is serving Christ. Right? Because what the Lord's going to give you regardless is what you need. Right? Yep. So does a job have to have monetary fulfillment? Absolutely not. What y'all and I believe that is wholeheartedly what y'all are doing without a doubt. So you got a young man here was which seems so far away from I'm for I'll be forty five. I don't remember what it's like to be seventeen. I ain't gonna act like it. I know I was dumb as a rock. But a young man that's in his infancy searching for Christ. Well, I mean y'all got some words for that. A young man seventeen years old searching for Christ.
0: Is that how old you are? Yeah. I I would I would first approach it. I I think it's always a, a great thing. When you are searching, you know I think that there is obviously an aspect of faith when you when you're talking about believing in in God, but I think that there's also a lot of logic that can le- that that can really point you in the in the right direction. So, you know, I, I wish I would have had someone sit down with me when I was younger, and not just tell me about Jesus, but talk to, talk me through the logic behind, like, Jesus, like, if, if, like, the Bible to me is so logical, you, it would almost be illogical or, or ignorant not to believe in it. I mean, right. from the very first verse, God created, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, what is the whole universe composed of? Time, space, and matter. In the beginning, that's the time. God created the heavens, that's the space and the earth that is matter like just in the first verse or two of the bible i'm like oh this makes this makes total sense to me right and then you know you look at you look at jesus which is the cornerstone of everything you know jesus is the crux of it all um he it's the essential ingredient to salvation and you say, you know, how in the world, like, first of all, you have to understand the logic behind why you need, why you needed a sacrifice, right? Um, And I think that the simplest, and to put this in the simplest terms, and this is biblical, God, the creator, he created us simply because he wanted companionship it was just for his pleasure it's the same reason that we own dogs so you know you own a dog you guys are dog guys you you know you you have a dog because you like that companionship something that is going to love you and want to spend time with you and and you know a dog loves you unconditionally man right they want to spend time with you and and that's the the for me in, a, in country boy logic, that's the best relationship that I can, the best way I can explain the, the relationship between us as humans and God. He wanted, he created us, formed us, made us in his image because he simply wanted companionship. I understand that. Right. I, I mean, I hope all of us can understand that, right? But what happened is, is he gave us free will. All right. Because if you create something, to be, we, we can't comprehend creating something. But if God created us to be in companionship with Him, but He took away our ability to choose, well, then we're s- s- essentially slaves,
3: right? You can compare uh, it to children too. Yeah. I mean, if you you had a kid and and you somehow could force that child to say, "You have to do everything," you know, that's right. Then right, yeah. What what are you getting out of? Yeah, it? so
0: it uh, would not be true companionship. Now, you know, and so so we have we have free will in in the beginning, but God was with us. He was here. He was walking in the garden and and being in companionship with Adam and Eve, and um, we had this free will, and we, as human beings, created human beings, made the choice to separate from him. We chose, we chose because we, well, we were we were tempted and we chose to break that connection, right right um, and that is where sin entered the world and humanity, right? So <clears throat> look, at that point, we were no longer in companionship with God, right? right and and so we were we were disconnected from him. He see God is a God is perfect. He's totally righteous. You can see his perfection in the stars. You can see his perfection in nature. He's a perfect being and and he can't tolerate sin because being perfect means he's also perfectly righteous. And so we were separated from him, but he loved us so much. Right? He loved us so much. He yearned for, for that companionship to be rekindled, that recon- be, for us to be reconciled back with him. He came down to this earth and provided the sacrifice that we needed in order to be reconciled back to him. He took the burden all that burden that that we piled on ourselves if you're a human being don't ask why bad things happen to good people don't freaking ask that it happens because we made the freaking choice we chose that and we're
3: not good in the first place there's only one person that was ever good
0: okay yeah that's right so he he took all of that upon himself and was crucified on a cross now, he had to do that, right? Why didn't why did he have to? Why couldn't he have just said, you know what? I'm going to forgive these humans. Why couldn't he have done that? Well, he's totally righteous. And guess what happened prior to all this? There was, there was a being, an archangel named Lucifer. Lucifer also chose the same thing that we chose, to break away from God, to be like God, right? God casted Lucifer out of heaven banished him from heaven, right? Broke that companionship with him. Well, we did the same things as humans. So why couldn't we, why couldn't God just say, well, I'm going to forgive these humans? Because guess what? The old accuser was there. Right, Lucifer was there saying, God, you say you're completely righteous. You banished me from heaven. You can't just forgive these humans, Right. He, for him to maintain his complete righteousness, he had to bear our burden as humanity. He had to do that, right? Do y'all understand what yeah, I'm saying uh, here? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. And so Jesus was took all that on, nailed to the cross, he died, they put him in a tomb, all right? Now, if it would have stopped there, uh, we would all be screwed. But something happened. He rose from the dead. Now, Cooney, you're you talking to me. You look at me, you say, how in the crap am I supposed to believe a Jewish guy rose from the dead 2,021 years ago? You really want me to believe that? Huh. That sounds freaking insane. It's not that insane. I want you to think about something. Back then... You know we have government now. Yeah. Right? You know what you understand government? Yeah. Well back then the government in charge was called the Roman Empire. Very similar to our government that we're living under now. <laughs> right? Right? Mm-hmm. All right, so the Roman Empire was in in charge along with the Jewish people. So the the Rome had taken over Jerusalem, but the Jewish people were still there in the city just living under the rule of the Roman Empire. The latest guy, they Jesus is crucified. That's a historical fact. That's not just in the Bible. That's in Roman records. There are records of Jesus Christ being crucified. It's a historical fact. Well, after three days, there's these daggone redneck fishermen running all over Jerusalem, saying that this guy named Jesus has risen from the dead. They're like, "Hey, I just saw him." He's alive, right? The tomb was empty. The, Ro- the Roman Empire did send a detachment of guards to stand watch and guard that tomb. Because guess what? If anybody had an interest in keeping that body in that tomb in order to put this whole Christianity thing to rest, it was the Roman Empire and the Jews, the two people that were in control of everything. That's why they sent a detachment of soldiers over there to stand guard on this thing, right? The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. And you got a bunch of redneck fishermen running around saying, I just saw Jesus. He's alive. I touched the holes in his hands. I sat down and ate with him. He's not a spirit. He's alive. He's in his body. Okay. Well, look. It's so... It it confuses the crap out of me. Why in the world did the authorities that were in charge, why did they not just produce a body? That's all they had to do. All they had to do was find Jesus' body, drag it out into the street, and say, you bunch of dummies, you're saying this dude is risen from the dead. Here's his body. It would have ended everything, right then right. and right there. There would be no Christianity. That's all they had to do, but they couldn't do it. There was nobody. It it, 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 may it. You you just can't you can't explain it. It's, it's it's logical. Now going beyond that, these crazy eleven fishermen, they continue to run around spreading the word that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the Roman Empire and the Jews are telling these 11 fishermen, they're saying, if you keep saying this, we're putting you in prison. Or you keep saying this and we're going to kill you. Right? Now, those 11 men were the only people that ever lived on the face of the earth that knew for a fact whether Jesus rose from the dead or whether he didn't. They're the only ones that could know without, without having to have any faith, right? So the fact that they believed that Jesus rose from the dead, that didn't require any faith for them because they saw him. Right. They all saw him. So they're spreading this message. The government authorities are saying, I'm going to kill you if you keep saying this. Now, if they knew the things that they were saying were a total lie, do you think that they would have given their lives for that message? Right. I would beg to say they probably would have shut their mouths. Right? right. Because they are the only people that would have known without a doubt that either yes, this dude is riz for, and, and if you see if you see your buddy get up from the grave and walk around ain't nobody going to stop you from from telling people about that. You'll give your life for that. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's the most logical, best explanation for where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. There is not a better story that exists on earth. And so, for anybody that's searching for Jesus, I would encourage you that there is a lot of logic behind it, although at the end of the day, a certain measure of faith is required. There's also a lot of science that points to intelligent design of our earth. And you don't have to be a freaking scientist, in my opinion. It takes nothing more than common sense to look around you and recognize that somebody built this. Take nothing more than common sense to me, but science actually points overwhelmingly to intelligent design. So if you want to look at it from a logical angle, that's the best way I can explain it to you
1: uh, i don't I don't think you can beat that explanation
3: and and faith is required to believe either way because none of us were born when the earth was created, and none of us were there to say Jesus rose or died. so you can present the facts and say this makes the most sense to me. I'm gonna have faith that Jesus rose from the dead and that God created the earth. And if you choose the other way, you still got to have faith yeah. that He didn't. You just it's it's where you're putting your faith at. You know, right. the right. theory
0: of evolution is a religion.
3: Yeah, it is it it
0: because of what Blake said. Right. It, you've got two choices. You can believe that we evolved from nothing, that something became nothing, and then became us. You can believe, that is an illogical religion because it requires more faith for me to believe that
3: than to look around me and believe in what the Bible says.
5: Right, right.
3: When's the last time y'all saw something come from nothing?
1: Never. (laughs) Never. 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 Or from just a big old mess, a big old pile of chaos. That
0: goes against the laws of science. Right,
1: right, yeah.
3: I think that's a great explanation, and and those are the, those, that answers the two questions. Like that's the most people can get along with the Bible. Like they're like it says a lot of good things. I agree with a lot of this. The hangups are who created the earth and the divin- divinity of Jesus. Did he raise from the dead? Is is he actually God in the flesh? Those are the two hangups. He's the that? rock of offense. Yeah, yeah, the stumbling block. And those those are perfect, perfect right. explanations for that.
1: What do you think, Ray Coney? Uh
2: Okay. So, back when this whole coronavirus thing first come up, I remember one night we were standing in the kitchen and Daddy was explaining to me, Buck, and Austin. This was when it first come to my mind that, like, this, the Bible, it makes sense. Because we were standing there and Daddy was explaining it to us and he's, I can't remember what he said word for word, but he said... I think it was the Lord said when He needs His people to repent, He will send plagues and send the locusts and all that. I can't remember word for word what He said. Yeah, but that's exactly what was happening at that time. The locusts were—I think it was Africa—they were just like everywhere, and then the the coronavirus would be the plague, and that's when it all clicked that it does make sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and the Bible says so in so many places, the Bible is a prophetic book. That's another thing that sets the Bible apart from all of the religious books in the world is the Bible claims to predict the future. And, 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 and throughout history, the Bible has ac- accurately predicted the future, especially for the Jewish people. All right? The Bible says that in the last days there will be pestilence. There will be plagues. That it's it's it talks about all of well, the last days started when Jesus ascended into heaven. Right. So we've been going through this process of the last days for the last two thousand and twenty one years. All right. Now we're a lot closer to that last day now than we were two thousand and twenty one years ago. But yes, you're right. This is all a part of the process. The Earth is groaning, right? And, and this stuff will continue. Um, I, I, I'm not being negative, but it will continue to progressively get worse. The times that we're living in now, you cannot compare our this. What's happening right now in the world? to anything else in human history, because we are now a global society, right? We are global. Right. This right. is so unique, the things that are happening now. And let me tell you another thing about common sense. You want to look at science? Science will tell you that this earth cannot keep going the way, the way it's going there there are there are scientists that study food how, how how to feed the population of the earth and literally they're looking like 5 years, 6 years out and they're saying if the population of the earth continues to grow at this rate we don't understand how we're going to feed people like right. Like we're exhausting our natural resources, we're we're destroying our Earth. We're we're like a plague. We ourselves are like a plague on the Earth. I mean, right, it's just right. like, uh, and so yeah, it, it can't it cannot
1: keep going. Right. I've never thought about it like that, Cooney. Well, you get caught up in your comfort. You know, I'm good. I've been good for 45 years uh-huh. and stuff like that. Don't cross your mind. You know what I mean. That the, the earth's getting eight up. Yeah. Like, like eight slap up. You ever thought about that, Raccoon? No. It I, it's, it's time for you to get fired up, son. Let's I, get the rolling.
3: I would say, too, you know, you, you asked what advice for a 17-year-old. So, Chad gave a perfect explanation, not only for a 17-year-old, but for anybody who is in question of Jesus Christ. Like, is, did he die? Did he not? What what about Christianity? But once you get there and you decide, all right, this does make sense to me. And as a young man, you say, What uh like where should I start? What are some things I should look out for? And you know, I can think back to my time being a young Christian, I would um discount myself for my youth, right? Like I had studied the Bible longer than some grown men have but I would discount what I know over what they knew because of my age and and if you find yourself there go read the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy because Timothy was a young man when he was when he was going doing work and Paul is writing these letters to him and that that's exactly what he tells him is don't be discouraged in your youth to to just whatever God's got for you go out there and share it because just because you're young doesn't mean anything. Age is, is just simply a number to count the years you're here. It is not to measure the maturity of your faith in the gospel of anything. And, I mean, I've, I found myself there. So that's one piece of advice that I would give to someone who is young. And then I think it's, uh, I think Teddy Roosevelt may have said this, and I don't know the quote exactly, but it's it, it goes something like, do what you know how to do with what you have where you're at. So if you are, hadn't been studying it that long and you don't know much about what to do, you know something about what to do. So do what you know right now with the resources around you that you have and do it where you're at. Don't get hung up and say, well, when I, when I really learn these verses and memorize these verses, I'll share it with people. Or when I, you know, when I get moved to this spot where maybe i feel like i can make a bigger impact you know then then i'll start sharing it cuz right. the people that are around me right now they don't really need it or they're not they're not going to they're not going to be receptive of what i'm sharing so right. the time is now it, it's it's never there's always more you can learn i've been studying that bible for i don't know 10 12 years and i feel like i know the the pinhead right is, is, is how much I know the pinhead in a size of a basketball, Right. you know. So you're never going to know it all. But there's something that you know. God has put inside of each one of us something that we have to deliver to our generation. And it's unique to each one of us. And if we don't share it because we're worried about it's not going to impact what's people going to think about us, we're robbing the generation Of that gift. There's a guy named Miles Monroe that says, he asks the question, What do you think the richest soil on the earth is? Like, where is it? And he says, It's not the gold mines, it's not the oil fields, it's the graveyard. Because if we could harvest the potential that died in those graves of cures to diseases that were never found, of books that were never written, songs that were never sung, all of that stuff. If we could harvest that, can you imagine how rich that potential would be? Dad, boom. Yeah, yeah. Believe that.
2: I never thought about that.
0: And, and and let me tell you what's happening. Blake said that we are here in this time and place to fulfill a very specific surf uh, purpose, right within the body of Christ. And what is happening right now, and I believe is going to continue to happen over the next over the next part of my lifetime, however much longer that I have left, is this. this. is this is this is being fulfilled right here, this prophecy here in Acts chapter two verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I believe that I know, I know that God sees what's going on right now in this world. He hears the cries of the unborn children that are being murdered by the hundreds of thousands. He hears those cries. And guess what? He's raising up a army of young men, of young women, of old men, of old women. He's putting a fire in people's hearts that would never have had a fire in past times. He's raising up a legitimate army within the body of Christ, and he's pouring out his spirit on each each and every one of us and you better get ready son because you're about to prophesy things into this world and into your community and into the people that you run into that's gonna blow their freaking socks off and you're gonna see visions i've seen visions it's coming you better be ready because if you're gonna get on this train right now in this time that we're living in you better be ready to roger up son You think I'm a bad dude because I'm a Navy SEAL? I'm not a bad dude because I'm a Navy SEAL. I'm a bad dude because I'm a born again son of God, Jesus Christ, the Alpha, the Omega, the creator of of everything, the beginning and the end. And he lives in me and you can't freaking stop me. Believe that. That's why. That's what's happening right now. That's why you feel the urge as a 17-year-old man. You're feeling that pull because God is raising up an army. I'm telling you, man. Believe It's got to happen. He's sick of seeing unborn children murdered by the hundreds of thousands. He's sick of seeing the evil. He's sick. He's about to end all this crap, man. That's right. But he needs an army to collect up as many people as he possibly can and point them to him because he desires everyone to be saved. He even loves the people that are murdering our children. He loves them. He wants them to be saved. He's long-suffering. He's he's putting this off so that, that we can hopefully reach them. But this ain't no freaking joke right now, man. And it ain't never been a joke. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now it ain't no joke. Right. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you 30 years from now, 40 years from now, I I hate to see what kind of persecution we're going to suffer. I say send it, son. Send it. That, That's where that, I'm
1: at. That that I mean that wholeheartedly what I was talking about with the most important job you I mean you explained it just like that if you're part of the army you gotta you gotta serve you gotta you gotta serve Christ a hundred percent I mean that that is the most important job Mm -hmm. what what else is more important is being a Navy SEAL more important is a Marine crushing concrete putting big thick wads of money in your pocket don't mean crap, dude. No. Don't mean nothing. What you think, raccoonie?
2: Mm, thinking. Huh?
1: That's that's what you got to do, think. Just keep just keep.
0: And you know this sound th- this might sound like there's a lot to this, but for anybody listening to this that's like, "Oh, crap. I want to get on that train, man. I want to join this. I want to join this, man." Do you understand how simple it is to get saved? To to jump on this On this wagon that's headed to paradise, eternal life. It's the simplest thing on earth. People don't understand this. You know why? Because the religious folks have screwed this up. Let me tell you how simple it is if you want to get on this, if you want to join up with this push that's about to happen. All right? It's really simple. The Bible tells us how to do this. This is all you got to do. You got to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you got to believe in your heart that he was risen from the dead and then you need to go down to the river and you need to have your daddy or me or if you're listening, your buddy that understands this, you need to have them down there at the river baptize you for the remission of sins. You need to be baptized and as soon as you come up out of that water, that's representative of you being risen up. You, you have, you receive the Holy Spirit as soon as you come up out of that water. And you are walking around then for the rest of your life with eternal life. You cannot die. All right? As soon as you come up out of that water, right? Then you got one job. To repent, which means turn away from the person you used to be. Because you're no longer that person. You've literally been born a second time. You've died. You go under this water. If I don't let you back up, you'll die, right? But when I let you back up, you're born again. You repent, which turns away, and you take up your cross and follow him as best you can. And I promise you, you're going to screw up a lot, just like me. That's all you... Do y'all understand how simple that is? You ain't got to go to church. You ain't got to go to the baptismal thing on the third Sunday because that's the only week they're doing it. You ain't got to go see a priest. You ain't got to have nobody sprinkle nothing over your head. You, that's a bunch of bull crap, man. That's all it is.
1: That's it.
0: <laughs> you, know why, you know why Jesus had to design You know why God designed it this way? Because it had to be so simple that the dumbest human on earth could comprehend it. Because if that's it right. was any more complicating than that, it wouldn't be fair. That's right. This this gift of eternal life is available to all of us.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You following Raccoony? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, what you thinking? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they're talking to you, bud. Yeah, I
0: know. Well, I'm talking to everybody that yeah. listens to this. That's right. That's I mean, right. everybody that listens to this. I mean, that, that, that first part, you got to be ready for that first part. That's you right. got to be willing to say, You know, I ain't the king anymore, Uh, but Jesus is
3: king. That's right. And you got to do that daily. That's not, you come up out of that water and you do it for the first time. You repent and you take up your cross, but you're going to have to repent a lot. Yeah. Every day. That's right.
5: Yeah. That's right.
0: Jesus told us how to pray. You want to know how to pray? Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name.
3: Thy kingdom come.
0: Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's that daily repentance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how you pray.
1: There you go. That's some meat, Coney.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: As a
3: seventeen-year-old, what's
1: what's your uh, what's the
3: biggest struggles you find? I don't know, really. I mean, just
1: I, I would say, at, at as his daddy hearing him talk, figuring out figuring out, like just in life. I mean, you at that age, you're wrapped around on what you want to do. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Uh, I think that's the majority of all young people. How do how do they look? 10 years from now, five years from now. You see what I'm saying? I think it's, I think anything, I'm not saying all teenagers are like that. I think just because you're so wrapped up in yourself, the thought of Christ is just sort of hopped over. Uh huh. You know, it, but until you need him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Well, you, you you say what what do you, you're right, you're exactly right. When you're that age, it's just like what do I want to do? And and and, and the reason people can't answer that dang question is because here's what most people in today's church body I mean church, I mean the body of Christ. Here's what they think. They think once I do that, once I get saved and baptized, there ain't nothing else to do. So now I gotta figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. That's wow. bull crap. You got nothing else to do after you receive Jesus but to follow Him, be in companionship with Him, point people to Him. Everything you everything else that you do is just a conduit for you to do what you are supposed to be doing. Right. But freaking Christians are lazy and bored, man, because they think, oh, <laughs> I'm saved. Boy, I'm just waiting to get to heaven. Oh, I can't uh-huh. wait to get to heaven. Oh, man, my back hurts. I just can't wait to pass on from this earth. Yeah, dude, give me a freaking break, man. Right. You didn't receive salvation for the reward. You received salvation, so you had something to do with this life.
3: That's right. Right? That's right. Well, and society puts those. You talk about a 17-year-old like, what do I want to do? There's a lot of pressure. I, I remember when I was your age of like, everyone's asking you, what do you want to do? With your life? Where, where do you want to be in five years, ten years? And and that is us, that's society pushing a results-based agenda on them. Because really, I mean, you should have, it's okay to have some general idea and be thinking ahead. But really, you need to decide, who, who am I? If you decided, I'm I'm a Christian, then there's some standards in this book that you need to be living by. And you need to say, today, only today, the Bible talks a lot about today, 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 not anything about five or ten years out. How can I live best by these standards today? And at the end of the day, you reflect and you say, I did good here and I did bad here. Tomorrow, tomorrow. I'm going to work on those areas I did bad at and I'm going to work on those areas I did good at and try to get better. And that's that. really, that's it. Like The, the results will come. Let me tell you, those principles in the Bible work for success. If, if you want to talk about being successful, you define success however you want. The principles in the Bible work. Me and Chad was talking on our run today. Someone asked him, before he was a Christian, what were your standards? like you know how did you get where you're at and he told him really subconsciously they were the same as what was in the bible because the biblical standards work they get you in good positions right so you live by those standards and do the best you can every day you're going to have good results in the end right that they, they may they might look a little bit different and how you define good, we could talk a whole podcast about that. Right. But you're going to have a favorable outcome if you live by those standards. Right. That's right.
0: Look, look, man, I've been fortunate enough to travel around the world and meet with and be interviewed by some very, very successful people in business. And dang near every single one of them are following a biblical model of standards and very few of them will admit it but almost every single one of them that have been successful now they might not be following biblical morality right but they're following
3: biblical standards hard work and things like that yeah
0: that's exactly right
3: Right. well i'll tell you what i thought success was for the longest was having a job that paid the bills having a family and being debt-free. Right. I mean, those are good goals to have. But I recently achieved that. And I had this revelation, like, I, I was working toward that subconsciously. And and that that was a high priority, and it shouldn't have been. Like, I should have just been following. I shouldn't have even been thinking about it. I should have just been following standards, and it, and it would have came, doing the best I could. And that's what I was doing but i was also striving for that that was something that i wanted and i mean there's nothing wrong with that but once i got there and i thought dang i don't know nobody nothing i got some money in the bank i got some income that bro now what yeah that's not success when you achieve what you think success is you will find that that is not success success is being fulfilled and completing God's mission for your life. That's right. it. I I can tell you one hundred percent. That's yeah. what I don't care what you define it as. That's what it is.
0: Yeah, so you're exactly right. I I mean I asked myself a question the other day when 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 I was feeling when I was being relying on myself and getting a little beat down and wore out. I asked myself. I said, What would I do if everything that we do here at Three O Seven Project just quit making any money. All right, what what would I what would I do? And the answer is I would keep doing everything we're doing here at Three to Seven Project for free for no money.
5: Right. Yeah. yeah
0: that that's success right. to me. Yep. Now I understand you guys are listening to this saying, Chad, you're oh that's easy for you to say you have a, a military retirement. Well, look, no, I, I would probably end up have to go out here and get me a job somewhere, or start some other business that would that was bringing in some sort of income, but nothing
3: here would change or stop. Yeah, I would be doing it for free. Right, right. Well, if somebody says that, let me tell you, I agree with Chad. And if what we do at Three or Seven stopped earning money, I would have to go get a job. And I feel the same way he does. So it's not a big deal. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely, Cody, You feel like we put put the seventeen year old on spot? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Well, I, well, you should have talked more.
0: You could have guided this conversation it, in a different direction.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Did we answer any questions you ever had? Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. I,
1: there was a lot of meat there Cooney. You could, meat.
0: you could have asked a bunch of questions about buds or something, man. Yeah. There's all
1: kind of good stories there. That's right. Absolutely. Talking about, you mentioned, uh, you made that comment about the digging up the dead, getting all that, this At the time of this podcast here, Memorial Day's Monday, and uh, it was 1868, General Logan at Arlington Cemetery started Decoration Day for all the Civil War dead. The Union and the Confederate, don't give a fat rat about what you care about the Civil War and the Confederate soldiers, started that in 1868, turned over to memorial day 1971 i think yep so definitely going to be celebrating memorial day as a memorial day you know i found something interesting when i was policing is uh every memorial day people would be shooting fireworks like it was the fourth of july mm-hmm. did you ever deal, deal oh with yeah that? oh yeah like they were celebrating the fourth of july and i'd never really thought other than when I was police, and I didn't really start thinking about it until a guy called in to complain about the fireworks. And at that time, fireworks were illegal in Georgia, and he was a vet. And I had a conversation with him about, man, we need to tell these people this is, this is Memorial Day for the, the people that made the ultimate sac- gave the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And I feel like they're over there celebrating. He was ticked off, and in my opinion, rightfully so rightfully so what 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 y'all got going on for Memorial Day what y'all, what y'all doing
0: well I'll, I'll comment on that because I would have to disagree with the gentleman that called in to complain first of all the reason most Americans are shooting off fireworks on Memorial Day is because they have no concept of what Memorial Day is right there are there's a large population in America that has no concept of what 9/11 is they have no concept of what the military is literally none you know how i know that because i was one of those people when i was growing up right so i I know that right so they have no clue um second as someone that has served in the military as a a combat operator in a a combat role right I'm, i'm not you know okay whatever i'll stop right there um The greatest honor for any warrior is to die in battle. I I know it might sound morbid, but I I could say up to this point, if if I could say I had one thing that kind of bothers me is that I didn't have the opportunity to die in battle. That makes no sense to you guys. It sounds stupid. It probably is stupid to (laughs) to most to most people, right? Because yeah, I would leave my family behind, and I wouldn't be. I would. I would miss out on a on a lot of stuff, right? But for a warrior, like I, I'm, I'm not. I'm talking about somebody that truly has had their mind warped to this state. All right. And not warped in a bad way, but just different than anyone else's. That is an, truly an honor to be able to do that alongside your, your brothers. And I'm not speaking for... If you guys listen to this, you, maybe you've served in the military, you think I'm stupid for saying this. I don't care, man. This is my take on it. Right, So you, you can like it or lump it. This is the way that I feel. All right? So... In my opinion the best thing that you can do on Memorial Day is celebrate the victories that we've achieved as a nation on the battlefield. And we've only achieved those victories by the the courage and the bravery that the men that that, that did die on the battlefield were willing willing to portray.
5: Right, right.
0: You know and, and you know for me, it's not a solemn day. It, it's a, it's a warriors' day, man. Yeah, I
1: think his, his that was his take on it, and I I can't remember. I think maybe he was a Korean War vet. Yeah, and that. Uh, do you think maybe that that generation feels differently about it? I, you see what I'm saying? I, I think, I think that in all wars.
0: All right. Now I now, I didn't die in battle, so I can't tell you what was going through the man's head that was laying in the dust on a foreign land as he as his body was broken and he took his last breath. I can't tell you right? This is just my perspective not being there in that position. I think that all in all wars, there are men and women that go in to put themselves in harm's way go into a combat zone, even go out and get in firefights, right? But there are a select few in every war, there are a select few people, groups, or teams that are like true, truly understand the concept of eating, sleeping, breathing, living the lifestyle of a warrior. And this is not, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, right? But I can see how someone who served could view it could view it from a different angle than me because I was fortunate enough to go through a a, a training pipeline that was two and a half, three, four, really four years long before I ever even went on a deployment. And in special operations, the job consumes you. You don't care about f- your family. I, this sounds terrible. Like you don't, you don't, you don't even really. You're not even concerned about your own life. You know, it just cons- it is who you are, man. It just consumes you.
3: Yeah, that's all. That's all you do. I I think back of like a tribal sense, like the the tribal warriors. That, that's all they were, right? Like. If if in American Indians or even back to as far back as you want to go, the the fighters' fault, right? That's pretty much all they did. Yeah, and and
0: and maybe you know I hate to even look, I hate to even look at it or, or even make the comparison because the 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 image of the Spartan warrior has been so watered down by mainstream. But you're you're talking about the difference between if if we want to look at a at a unit back in uh. You know ancient history, the difference between a Spartan warrior and a conventional unit. I'm talking about the Spartan warrior right. that literally wanted, he yearned to fight so hard that it cost him everything. Right.
5: Right. Right. So
0: I don't know if this is offensive to people or if it, if it makes sense or. If maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way, but I'm gonna tell you, the guys that I served with, the majority of them, this is who they were, right? A- and and you know, it's just different, man. Right,
1: right. I, I I think it's hard for any anyone like myself to to wrap my even my mentality to even fathom it. You see what I'm saying? Because I ain't got n- no idea of the training. I ain't got, you know, you, you sit here and you you look on Facebook and somebody says, I wish China would try to come over here.
0: It's the don't, lifestyle. Don't,
1: yeah, right. Don't even have an, an idea. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I can't fathom. I understand what you're saying. I don't understand the mindset it would be fake if I said oh yeah I see what you're saying I understand what you're saying you see what I'm saying yeah I think if anybody that hasn't been there done that learned it done it I think it would be fake if they said oh yeah I get it you know what
0: you know what I mean celebrate the life and sacrifice that these warriors made celebrate that man. that's what they would want you to do um in, from my perspective right, I, right. I mean and, and so you know we'll go we'll go on Monday and we'll do Murph at our local gym and Murph is to uh, is in memory of Michael Murphy on Operation Red Wings uh, where you know they got pinned down and and they they were in the mountains of Afghanistan and nobody could get comms back to HQ. To call in reinforcements or or air assets or anything. They, they they didn't they couldn't get comms because it was such rugged terrain right so Michael Murphy they're pinned down they're getting freaking shot up man that they're I mean uh, Marcus Luttrell was the only one that survived that gunfight that battle and um, so Michael Murphy knows well I got somebody's got to get comms somebody's got to Get some air assets or, or get some people in here to help us or we're just all going to die. Um, So he crawls out to a, a rock, fully exposed, right? Because a sat phone, you've got to have a clear line of sight to the sky. Right. All right. So he crawls out onto a rock where he can get a clear line of sight. He leaves his cover, gets out there. So he gets a clear line of sight to make this sat phone call and he gets shot all to pieces and dies. He won the Medal of Honor for that.
1: Right. I mean <laughs> So so y'all are gonna go to your gym and you said the Murph, what what exactly is that? Is it a certain workout segment? Yeah. Okay. Murph
0: Murph is a, a cert, is a is a certain workout that is uh it is it's a super hard workout that we'll do in order to celebrate the life of a warrior, man, the life and sacrifice of, of this thing. In this case, this single warriors, you know, we'll focus on and talk about him prior to that. And, you know, if you guys are out there, if you're doing Murph, I would encourage you when you go to do Murph that day to shift your dang mindset, man, you know, man, we, we talk about this, this whole aspect of, of being a warrior, Uh, and you know, I can't tell you how many times I walk in my gym and people say, oh, Hey man, are you ready for this? You know, uh, you know, and I hear people say, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try to get through this one. I'm just taking it easy. You know, I'm just here today because I'm, I want to feel good about showing up to the gym, you know? Well, a warrior, Me. I don't have that luxury. So when I walk into the gym, don't ask me if I'm ready for the workout because I don't have the luxury of walking in and, and just getting through the workout. You know why? Because people look at me differently.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And, and and I bear that burden willfully, but I also take it very seriously. So if I'm going to show up in front of my peers in front of my community, I'm going to show up and I'm going to give everything I got every single time. It don't matter how I freaking feel. I don't care because that's the burden that I've chosen to bear. Right. And this goes for all of you guys that are first responders, former first responders. This goes for all you guys that have served in the military. Your peers look at you differently. And you need to shoulder that. And you need to roger up and accept that. And you don't have the dang luxury of piddle farting around when people are watching you. Because you represent something bigger than yourself.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so that's, that's the way I go in there every day like that. Uh, and whoever shows up for Murph on Monday... I'm going to challenge them to do the same freaking thing. Right. You maintain a fighting position. You can't fight with your freaking hands on your knees. Or your hips. You can't fight from your knees. You can't fight from your back. Pick your dang head up,
2: stand up straight, and get the job done. There you go. So speaking, speaking of the gym and whatnot... I when I get out of high school I wanna go into law enforcement. That's what I wanna do. But I am two hundred and seventy one point four pounds. That's
1: unsat. By choice. <laughs> by choice. I mean seriously. <laughs> I, I'm two ninety four by choice. I'm just a big old blob. And Chad
2: once told me, you know, <laughs> tan fat equals muscle. <laughs> 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 but uh and you probably get this a lot, but what what is some some advice you can give me for getting in shape, like I need to be. I think but,
1: he just gave it to you. Yeah, but
2: <laughs>
0: well that that of, that's the that's the mindset. You know, that's the mindset that you have to have. Um, pr- but practically, you know, when I decided I wanted to join the Navy, man, I was over two hundred pounds. Um, and you know, practically, you have to. You have to, one, you got to want it, man. You got to be committed to it. You got to want it more than anything else. You got to want it more than than the freaking crap food that you might be eating or, or the, the crap lifestyle that you might be having. You got to want it more than that. And And then you got to ease into it. And you got to be patient again with the process because it is going to be a process. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, it took me from the time I decided I wanted to join the Navy to the time I got on the start line of buds, it took me nearly 2 years. All right, that's about how long it's going to take you to get in in good solid shape. It's going to take you about 2 years. Right. Now you, you might you might lose some weight pretty quick, right? Though that 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 stuff's gonna come off, per, probably, but for you to get solid, see, your body makes adaptations as you start to 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 introduce it to physical stress, and, and those adaptations happen slowly. Your bones get harder, your ligaments and and and, and uh, all that stuff. It it gets like sinew. Your muscles get harder. All right, your your vascular system and your respiratory system, it gets healthier and stronger. All these adaptations happen over time of you putting at first small amounts of stress on them, right? And then sticking with it, being patient with the process, listening to your body and knowing when you can, all right, I can push a little harder now. All right, instead of doing a half mile jog, now I can do now I can I can do a one-mile jog, right? Instead of doing bench press with the 20-pound dumbbells, now I can do it with the 35-pound dumbbells, right? And it also takes an investment, not only in your time, because it's going to take you, when you get off of work and you're beat down tired, what do you feel like doing? Eating dinner? Freaking getting on Instagram, chilling.
1: Farming Farm simulator. simulator.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. I, I mean, it, that, that's what we all feel like, dude. We, when I when I was in the teams and we were doing a, a unit level training uh, for deployments, and we were we were we were doing you know day in the night, we would get off of work at you know 11, we we'd go to work early in the morning, we wouldn't get off until midnight. I'd grab me a I, the only thing that was open was Wendy's. I'd grab me a Baconator. Uh, and, and scarf that thing down, and I'd go straight to the freaking gym, man. I mean, it costs something. Right. It costs something. And it costs something financially, too. Right. The money that you have, instead of going to stupid crap, it's got to go into better food. It's got to go into a membership at a, at a legit gym, somewhere where you're going to be surrounded by the right people. It's going to take you driving back and forth there it's gonna man it's it's, it's a huge it it is a huge investment man and um you know most people aren't willing to freaking make that investment i look at my community now and i'm not trying to be mean but i look i, I drive through downtown here and i look around me and i'm like dang you're either old or you're fat <laughs> right. i see them i see him walking side by side the old the old man that's 90 years old That's worked his whole life. He's skinny as a dang rail. But he moves at the same speed as the 19-year-old 300-pounder that's moving next
5: to him. Right, right.
0: And, And it pisses me off, dude. Because life has so much more, man. Life has so much more to offer. And don't take any of this the wrong way, man. You know me. I'm just, I'm a brutal I'm a I'm a terribly brutal guy, man.
3: Well, let me say, you're going to spend the money. If You're mm-hmm. either going to spend it on food or in 20 or 30 years, you're going to spend it in doctor bills. That's right. Because That's you right. ain't been healthy all your pick, life. You're going to spend the money. Pick
1: your poison. Pick your pain.
3: Yep. Being it, in shape is hard, yep. but being fat and out of shape is hard. That's right. That's just the fact of the matter. Everything you do is hard. You just pick whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Whichever one you want to do,
1: absolutely.
0: And let me go ahead and call myself out. I I dip a can of snuff a day. You know why I ain't quit that? Because I don't want it bad enough. That's exactly why I don't I, the, the, I don't want it bad enough. And it, I'm I'm being freaking lazy. I'm being a lazy turd when it comes to that, because I'm throwing money away on stupid stuff. It ain't about the money. All right. And I'm doing something that's affecting me, not only my health, but also my testimony. I am. Do you think being overweight don't affect your testimony?
1: Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it affects you. Yeah. Dipping this snuff right here affects my testimony. Right? It, it takes away from my credibility of who I say I am. Yeah. And I, I don't want it bad enough, and it's it's screwed up, man.
3: It's time to get serious about it,
0: son. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know, yep. so I I I'm, I'm saying that because I want y'all to know I'm not perfect, and I'm not the. I'm sitting here saying what I'm saying because it's what's on my heart, man. And and it's not to be mean, and it's not to toot my horn like I'm freaking perfect because I got a lot of flaws, and and my flaws, the same reason. That you might be overweight. That you might not be achieving or getting experience in the fullness of life.
1: You know? I'm a big component of truth over entertainment. Big component. And I think we have slammed the folks with some truth. Some hardcore truth. Let's talk about some hunting. Some hunting. Well, I hold on. Because I... You say Y'all talking about that... <laughs> In talking with a lot of buddies and a friend of mine, why is it sloth seems to be the hardest sin to define in conversation, so to speak? You see what I'm saying? What what is sloth to you, Blake? Okay, explains
3: <laughs> explain laziness.
1: I mean, you oh saw,
3: yeah, yeah. You had me off with sloth. I was <laughs> thinking about the three-toed. <laughs> no. Um, well, they're pretty lazy. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't move too fast. It to me, I guess if I had to define laziness, to me it it's always going to go back to the Bible for me. I mean, people may get tired of hearing it, and it may not resonate with some people, but it goes back to the Bible. Are you doing what is what the Bible says to do? Like, does does the Bible say to work hard and I mean, you can take that however you want to, but it it's not being deliberate about everything you do. We talk a lot at Three or Seven Project about being deliberate, and I think you can ask your qu- yourself this question: It when you do something, you can a you need to ask yourself, why did I just do that? And the answer to it should tell you whether it's going to further you or not. When you get off work and you go home and y- and you say, I'm just gonna eat some old nasty, greasy dinner, run by the fast food place, and I'm going to sit on the couch. You deliberately did that and ask yourself, why did I do that? Well, it's because I'm tired. Is that an excuse not to go out and do something better? Man, we have so much as Christians, we have so much that we need to be doing. And just even being, I mean, whether you're 17 or whether you're 30 years old and got kids that you, there's so much that we have to do. You shouldn't. I watch TV, but I'm calling myself out. You should never watch TV. We are so busy. We should never have time to where we can sit down and watch an episode on Netflix. It is a waste of time. Unless you are, if you're watching something that is education, like you say, Hey, I need to learn about this or I want to, but if it's purely for entertainment, We are too busy to be entertained. Nobody needs to be entertaining us. We need to be out doing work. So I guess that's a roundabout way to define laziness. It 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 could also
1: be the question of why didn't I do this? That's it. Yeah. Right. If talking about Cooney working out, I mean, if you can get five more reps, why didn't you? Or, you know, as simple as that, right? Yeah.
3: And it goes back to do what you know how to do with what you've got. If you say... Man, right, maybe you really can't afford a gym membership. You might really not, but I know y'all got weights in your gym. Maybe you can't afford somebody to tell you what workouts you need to do. Well, let me tell you, there's plenty of resources online that you can figure something out with the materials you got. You go pick up some daggone jugs of oil and do some curls or whatever. You can do something. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. You can get a telephone pole pretty cheap. If not free. Y'all got tires. I've got some tires from y'all. Yeah. You get still you got some tires. tires. I got some of them. Do you? Flip them jokers, man. Y'all got plenty of stuff. That's right.
1: Let's talk some hunting, fellas.
0: Oh, Rick. what? I don't get to talk about being lazy?
1: Go for it. Oh. Go for it. I about blew my load on this
0: episode, son. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Uh, well, I, I mean, you know, you could attack it from all different angles. I I truly believe. I I, I truly believe a big aspect of laziness, especially in uh, first world or American society, is simply because we have entirely too much crap. We we are entirely too freaking soft, too comfortable. We've cashed in all of our natural instincts uh, as as human beings um, for for just this life of of comfort. The things that we want are are illegitimate. We want to get our house paid off. We want to pay our seventy thousand dollar vehicle off. We want a new set of golf clubs. We want a a 10th AR-15 $3,000 rifle. Uh, we These are all illegitimate things to want. Let me go ahead and tell you, I've spent a lot of time in third world countries, and these cats are skinny as rails because the things that they want is food and clean water and a little bit of shelter. I'm talking about a lean-to tarp strung up over their head uh and they gotta hustle to get that crap or they die. Right. <laughs> like they got some legitimate wants. Yeah. And we got too much, man. I mean, praise the Lord that we live as comfortable as we live, but it is at the detriment to our industry, <laughs> like being industrious as human beings right. and, and not saying that you guys work harder than anybody I know. Yeah. You know, you guys, you guys work hard. We work hard. Um, but like Blake talks about purging and really simplifying your, your life. And, you know, I don't know, having all this stuff, being able to go down here at the grocery store and, you know, buy your, your, You know, whatever the crap you're eating, bull crap. You know, it's just. The the human body is a crazy dang thing because its will to survive is so strong that it will actually destroy itself. The reason you crave the foods that you crave, that's simply, that's a human instinct. Your body's wanting to consume all this sugar and fat and nasty crap because it's thinking it's it's saying if i can just store up all this daggone fat i'm gonna be good and then it ends up it ends up destroying itself Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's a weird thing man
1: man is when when i quit drinking you know not thinking that uh all that beer every night for all those years was turned was sugar in my stomach and i quit when i quit drinking the sweet tooth Dude was, oh, I bet dude. as powerful as <laughs> drinking. Really? Yeah, I bet it was. Yeah, like having to fight the ice cream tub type strong. I ain't never I thought about I'm that. i might pick I'm up like them to, tasty cakes. I'd like to get on, Daddy, real quick. Okay. Oh, uh so
2: oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. We went out to eat for lunch yesterday, or the other day at a Baby Jane's and <laughs> oh god i know baby jane <laughs> and daddy likes to do this thing i don't know if he thinks it's canceling each other out but he'll get a plate of fruit with brownies on it <laughs> but here here's the funny part okay at lunch he eats three brownies and then after, but hold supper, on, hold on. I'm, they're I'm, they're
1: they're about one by one.
2: Hey, one. corn, just own it, man. One. Just just take on so it, dude. He's eating three brownies, which I I'll give him that. They are really small. And then after he eats supper that night, he eat about three more brownies that aren't that small. No,
1: those are those are big brownies. <laughs> there, true that, true just that. Just wanted to say that, you know. Well, thanks for busting me out, Cooney. Well. You didn't say nothing this whole podcast, and then at the end, you want to get negative on your daddy. What's up with that? That's
2: what I felt like needed to be said, so I said it. There well, you go. some accountability going on <laughs> out there. Son.
1: All right, boys, let's, let's talk about a little bit of hunting. I know y'all been sitting here a long time. Let's just touch base on some old-time hunting stories. Now, you asked Cooney what, what was the first thing you remembered about you and Chad. What was the first thing you remember about us hunting? You remember? I get, the, the main hunting, there's a hunting story with Blake that I remember when we all went to Talbot County. <laughs> and uh, me and Blake was hunting together. And uh, remember, we called that bird, and he went all the way around that creek, and you was mm-hmm. sitting to the right. And I shot that turkey. His head flopped off, and he took off running with yep. his head broke. But the main thing I remember about that was that asthma attack or mm. – or dust might attack or whatever kind of attack. <laughs> and we remember, we took and drove two hours and took Blake all the way back home. I think we all might have ate supper or something at home. And then we, me, you, and Brandon loaded right back up in the truck, left Blake at home, went right back turkey hunting. You remember that hunt? Oh, man, that was – I remember the hunt when I you shot was that, that bird. Yeah. I jumped up and lost
3: every one of my calls. Right. And we couldn't find them. And I do remember um, y'all stuck me up in the top of that camper. Right. And I, I think I had about six inches between the mattress and the ceiling. And that camper had probably been locked up. For ain't no telling how long. I'll probably oh my
1: God. breathe in some black mold or something. <laughs> probably that might I, wait, be why he gets him coughing fit. I bet it is. He's, He's got mold be. spores. He's and already
0: got weak genes.
3: Not not that Chad's <laughs> old green Toyota was a much better environment to sleep in, but at least there was probably a little more open air flowing right, through there. Right. But. That was uh what's the
1: what's the first hunting thing you remember?
3: Man, the far, I, I don't I don't remember the first hunting thing i remember chad talking about as far as you i remember chad talking about you and going coon hunting but uh i don't know one hunt that sticks out to me was when uh we went hunting over there on i don't know it's somewhere mount Olivet you had just gotten off work you got out of the truck and he was like all right you ready and i was like yeah you're gonna put your clothes you gonna put your hunting clothes on and he's like oh no the boy's they took my face mask and my gloves and i ain't got my shirt now brian from about the elbows down he's fairly tan but from the elbows up he's about white as casper the ghost and uh i said well whatever we ain't gonna kill nothing today but we'll go have some fun so we didn't do no good there and went over that cow pasture sure enough we killed a bird i remember seeing you he come up over the hill, and you was tucked in back behind your gun. Yeah. Had all your
1: arms tied up as tight as you could. And, I'm a, I'd got off work. When I was policing then. I, had, yeah. I still had on my police britches. Uh-huh. Crossed the creek. T-Totally weren't running them britches. They're made out of some weird material. I don't What I'm What like are they? polyester or something. But crossed the creek and just slapped running them things. Uh-huh. I remember taking them in there saying, I need some oil. What in the world do you do, corn? Well, I went turkey hunting. (laughs) My gosh. Yeah, that was a fun hunt. Didn't have no sleeves, no nothing on. No,
3: that, that was a funny one.
1: Yeah. You know, Cooney actually killed a turkey in that same spot, his first turkey. Did he? I mean, in the same exact location, killed his first turkey. Now, me and Chad rode just about all over Georgia coon hunting. I mean, we went just about as far north as you could go. We went down to well, middle Georgia, Washington County, used to hunt all over the place. Now, I remember the the funniest thing. This is sort of creepy, but I always think about this. I had a dog named Joe, and uh, you was handling that dog for me. And the Friday night before, you had won, won first place with the dog uh, out of that Shannon Club. And then we hunted out of the... The club, I think it's called Catoosa County Club or something like that. We hunted. I don't know if you remember that dog, that plot dog named Ranger, Razor, and all that. But anyhow, so we was hunting the next night. Had big expectations for the dog. One of the dogs ended up running some coyotes or something. Turned out to just be a miserable night. And there was these two guys. And I'm not knocking anybody from Dade County or Rising Foam. But there was these two guys that come out of Rising Phone, and I mean they looked like they was just slap off the movie Deliverance. And Chad went over there and had to go pee, and he went to the front of the truck to pee, and those two guys watched him pee. Now Chad was about <laughs> seventeen years old at the time. And he come back to me, and he was so upset. He said, them two guys over there stood there and watched me take a piss. <laughs> I won't never forget that. That was probably the first time I seen you mad. You was so flipping mad because you didn't realize they was doing it till you turned around, and you was like, no, I'm serious. They sit there and watched me Piss. <laughs> I said, like, watched you. No, they seen all of it. You was. Do you remember that? I don't, man. How can you not remember that? I really don't. I, you know, I, I don't.
0: I, I, I don't. I don't retain a lot of those. I mean, if you want to call that a precious memory, I don't know if it is. No, why? I said
1: creepy. <laughs> yeah, I yeah.
0: Said. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of stuff, man, that I'm so thankful that you guys remember. And I, and I think that's why that's where the real value is at in, in podcasting. It's because when we record these conversations and put them out, hopefully they'll be here for years and years and maybe even decades, you know. But a lot of that stuff I don't remember, man. Um, but, you know, coon hunting – dang sure don't draw the brightest bunch at, at all occasions. You've got to be a little bit off your rocker to coon hunt in the first place. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I think that's what drew me to coon hunting was the the adventure of it. You know, you, you never knew where you were going to go. They, your, their property lines didn't exist. You were out at night. You know, and, and it was, it was like going out on a little mini mission. Man, I remember the first time, you know, in third phase when we'd started going on nighttime patrols, and these guys didn't know how to move or navigate through the woods at night. And I'm like, what, what the crap have y'all been doing? This is, right. this is what I've been doing <laughs> since I was, you know, 14 years old. And every coon hunt is like a little mini mission, and but it takes either it takes a combination of grit and stupidity to do it on the level that we used to do it. I mean, it really does, but you know, I got so many memories of hunting with, uh, with you and, and you were really, uh, my first mentor in my life. Um, you know, I can't remember anybody before you other than, other than maybe family members, that were just there because they had they were there they didn't have to be there but you know family members right right, right. you know what I mean but outside of my family unit you were the first mentor that I ever had and um, we did man that's that's what that's what we did and you know some of the the memories that I have um well I think you really taught you you really helped forge that competitiveness in me and that was through competition coon hunting you pushed me to win i mean you 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 were serious about yeah, that yeah
1: we we were serious
0: yeah well you were i i didn't right. you know you you kind of stoked that in me man um you know i i remember i remember how many dozens of times going over to this old man named Jerry's house and he traded coon dogs and you know there was he he always had his Expensive dogs in the nice pens right by his house on the concrete slab, and all the dogs that, you know, just of course all of them he said were good dogs, but all the ones that we could afford were the ones that were back there right. on a chain, right? You know, and man, I just i and I always remember that. I remember when Jerry had that big dog named Tar, lightning smoking Tar, and I just remember standing there like admiring him and. You know, I thought, I think Jerry wanted like $5,000 for this dog or something. And right. I'm just like thinking, wow, man, how could anyone ever afford to buy a dog like that, man? Right. And then, you know, I'll I i, I rem- I'll never forget the night that we went to uh, Pete's house. Actually, it's just, which is right up here where I live now. Right. Um, I remember driving down 27, going to his house, and back then... That felt like we were going, for me as a kid, it felt like, man, we are out here, dude. Right, right. Like, this is the mountains, and uh, we turned the dogs loose, and there was a big kind of beaver pond, which is odd because it's mountains in there. I'd like to go back and see that beaver pond just now that I'm an adult.
1: But Do, um, do you know where it's at? Are, uh, so when you're going to your house— you know have you ever seen that sign that says like free mulch or whatever that's on the left hand side from here yeah it's that driveway right there
0: is it really yeah i'll be dang yeah
1: now it's way on back in there yeah but that's that that's so crazy
0: man we go to we go to this place man we turn the dogs loose and you know right on the edge of this beaver pond and the dogs go out there and they get struck in and they're trailing they out into that beaver pond and we start to make our way to them, and they finally kind of tree, but you know it doesn't sound right, and and it's because the dogs are having to swim around the base of this tree, and we get up to where we can. We have these big lights when we coon hunt, right, and they're like a, a miner would wear or something on on your head, and you turn that light on, and I remember shining up in that tree, and that tree was dead because the beavers had dammed the water up and the, the tree's roots got underwater and the tree died over time. And so it didn't have any limbs on it. And we could see the coon in the top of that tree well, As soon as the, the coon saw our lights, it, it got nervous got and it turned around and we watched it come all the way down out of the tree, uh, down out into and amongst the dogs, basically, uh, whoop all of our dogs and swim away and um, we were like holy crap this is a terrible unit right here and so the dogs end up getting composing themselves right and they get back on the track and they take it finally up out of that beaver pond up onto a hill and they tree again and it was summertime if i recall because i remember the leaves the leaves on the trees right
1: and- it was yeah
0: we, we finally get up there to where they're treed now the second time, and we, fi- we find this coon again, and we shoot it out. And this coon ended up weighing like 28 or 29 pounds. Right. And it was the biggest coon we had ever killed. And uh, that was just a very memorable hunt to me. Um, turkey hunting. I remember when me and Brian first decided we wanted to start turkey hunting, we had a little 40-acre lease. <laughs> Uh, and we, <laughs> we went out, we didn't know what the crap we were doing. We we're coming back, we're done hunting and we're walking back out to the front of the property and there's a, a field, about a five acre field there at the front of the property. And I'm looking kind of through the pine trees and I see some birds out in that field. And I said, man, there they are. And so we got on our bellies and we low crawled for about 400 yards through a pine thicket up to the edge of that field and brian pops up and shoots one of these birds and man i thought heck yeah our first turkey hunt man we don't even know what we're doing and we don't killed a turkey and uh of course then we get up we start to walk that way we realize it's a bunch of buzzards <laughs> yeah <laughs> we had killed a
1: buzzard yeah um, I, I think we're well over the statue of limitations on that. So we're, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. I remember that old new England. That was your, I shot that with your gun, that new England 10 gauge you had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: You, you know, a story that's, that stuck out with me, um, that stuck with me for a long time, Brian, that, you know, I don't, I don't know where it sits with you now, but I can remember a story you told me as a kid when you and Pete were out hunting and you guys saw something that you don't know what it was. And I remember you telling me y'all were walking through a bean field or something and this thing, whatever it was, you, you'll have, if you will tell that I would like to hear it. And and I don't know the meaning behind it or how you feel about it now, but it it's always stuck with me as a really unique experience out yeah. there in, in the woods, coon hunting at night. And I think give the listeners some perspective on the things weird things that you encounter out there when everyone else is asleep right
1: we uh it's not too far from here if you go up 156 going toward gordon county you know where the oostanala river is right up here Mm -hmm. if you'll take that that right just before the river I, i can't remember the name of the road and it may even be a driveway uh we hunted with a guy we we called him rojo uh was his name you know how i nickname everybody his name was rojo and they they owned land right on the river so they they owned a bunch of property on the river bottom and that's
0: prime coon hunting for y'all that listening
1: and they had in this particular field was a soybean field and i mean it's probably 600 700 acres across this field And then on the other side of the field is the river and, of course, the tree line that's associated with the river. You know what I mean? So we cut the dogs loose, and they go down and strike in this slough that pulls off of the river. And uh, I think we was hunting two dogs, and we were standing there talking. Now, because the dogs had struck, we're tightening up on them, moving closer to them because they're going in a general direction. About halfway across that field, we're stopping, talking, listening to the, to the race of the dogs. And uh, turn around and look out toward the road, just looking back toward the truck. You're always getting where you're at when you're coon hunting, so you don't get. Because back then, our tracking collars wasn't like like they are now. You couldn't. There was use no it. GPS. Yeah, you couldn't use it to get back to the truck. So we're keeping our bearings, turn around, and see somebody about. I oh, roughly two hundred yards on them in a now this field is moonlit. The it's night, about two o'clock in the morning, but the moon is very bright. You can see the ground. So you see a silhouette. A silhouette. Like I said, my initial thought, we see somebody. It's two thirty in the morning. We're the only people dogs are running. Hey man, who what in the world are you doing? Don't say nothing. Well my buddy Pete, he's like, Don't worry about him, man, some crackhead or something. You know, we'll get the dogs and just get out of here. Rojo's like, man, I'm going to stay by my truck. I don't know who that is. This is my property. Rojo's hollering at him, you need to get out of here, you know, blah, all the way up to, all right, I'm going to call the law. And this, this silhouette starts walking closer to us. So summertime, we ain't got no gun. We ain't planning on knocking these coons out. Well, now the dog's done get into what seems to be a pack of coyotes because the coyotes are really close to the dogs. Pitching a fit, pitching a fit. Rojo's like, man, y'all go get the dogs. I'm going to the truck. We're hollering at this silhouette. It never stops. It's coming closer. It gets about a hundred yards from us. And Pete freaks out. He, I'm not dealing with this, man. This is weird. I'm going to the dogs. Y'all do what you want. So we all start going to the dogs. You know, we don't know what in the world. I mean, we got three guys here. We're all wanting to say this is a spirit, but none of us is man enough to say this is a spirit. You get what I'm saying? I mean, none of none of us are going to say, oh, I think that's a ghost. You know what I mean? Yeah. As we we, we get about 200 more yards, then it's going through the road toward Rojo's truck. So now Rojo takes off running toward his truck. He's going to the right. And then now the dogs are in a fight with the coyotes. We can hear them, you know, the snarling, the snapping, the, the yelping from the coyotes, the yelping from the dogs. Rojo goes to the truck. Me and Pete goes to the dogs. Rojo cranks the truck up. He's trying to drive around to the, to the dogs. We get back to we get the dogs, they're tore up, nothing like where we got to take them to the vet, get in the truck, drive down the field, dude's gone. Dude's gone. We get to Rojo's house and his mama, they've lived there all their life. His family has owned that land for years and years. And they tell, now they had never told Rojo this, And he's like, mama, there's somebody out in the fields and this and that, and that and this. And I can't remember what she said his name was, but she tells this story of some civil war ghost that people see ever so often out on the side of that river. I'm not going to say it was a ghost, but it was something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I don't believe in ghosts, but it was something I, I think. To be a man, and you got three other men hollering at you, grown men, and you just ain't paying them no mind. We could see, you could see the soybeans moving. We could see the soy, like I said, moonlit bright night. We could see the soybeans. Yeah, moving. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah.
0: That silver light from that moon, yeah, right. reflects off the leaves. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that mess you up right there, buddy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I never did turn back loose out there. Never did.
0: But, you know, that's the kind of, you you see some weird stuff out yeah. there. hunting. that's the adventure. That's the adventure aspect of it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what that, what that was. And, you know, I, I don't know about the whole, the whole ghost thing. It's a, it's a strange, uh, dilemma that would actually be pretty cool to do a study scripturally on it. Right. Um, you know, I, I have this. I have this weird concept of, uh, and I don't know. I don't. I think this is just a theory of my own that human beings have. Um, we have a, we have energy. We have electricity running through our body. That's what like makes our hearts tick, and like there's an electrical current energy running through our body. It, it was really weird the other night. Uh, we were, we were on a basic course trip and me, I always sleep off to myself in my tent and Blake and Nathan usually kind of tent up right next to each other or close to each other. And I'm usually, you know, whatever, 20 yards away or something. That's just the way it usually lays out. My tent's got a little bigger footprint. Well, the, that night, Nathan and I tented up right next to each other. Like our tents were nearly touching We don't usually do that, and that night, I was vividly active in Nathan's dreams, and Nathan was vividly active in my dreams, and it was almost, you you can't explain it, and yeah, you can write a lot of things in life off to coincidence, but it was almost like our energy, if you want to call it that, overlapped, Right, and- I don't know. Maybe there's some imprint, energy imprint that's left. This is complete theory, by the way. This is complete Chad theory. It is, as far as I know, not biblical whatsoever. But there's, I think there's a lot of things that go on that we don't. I oh, think yeah. when we get, when we get in the presence of God and our eyes are opened to what is actually happening. I think we're going to feel so ridiculous uh, that we thought we had it all figured out. There'll probably be a couple of year laughing fit.
3: We'll all be up there just <laughs> and, rolling.
0: And this is also, this is, this concept is biblical because the Bible talks about, imagine when you, when you, pass from this life to eternity, and you arrive in the presence of God, and you receive a crown, right? You receive a crown, but your eyes are now opened to what's actually happening. You're not. You're no longer bound by time, space, or matter. Well, you get that crown, and the first thing you do is take it off your head and cast it at his feet. And I can only imagine the reason you do that is because you realize, holy smokes, yeah. I didn't have nothing figured out. Right. I am so not worthy. And you take, everybody wants a crown. Right. You just worked your whole life to earn this thing. You know? Right. You just take it off and cast it at his feet because you feel so, <laughs> I can only
3: imagine how foolish we'll all feel. No
1: joke. <laughs> Well, you think Ray Coney? Yeah,
3: <laughs> I think we'd be doing a disservice to the listeners if we didn't at least make mention of that hunt in Alabama,
1: where we killed a oh game my from every. What was the name of that van? Pork chop.
0: I think it was. I think yeah. it was called
3: pork chop. Pork chop. Yeah. I remember me and Dad was sitting out in the field in a blowdown, and there was all these. I don't even know what kind of animals. They were African animals, European animals. I think they were just goats. Yeah. And, uh, and, they, and Dad was talking to that guy, and he was like, Dad was like, man, I'd like to kill that one. He's like, that one's going to cost you five grand. And uh, so Dad picks out what he wants to shoot, whatever they shoot it. Then these hogs come out there, and I'm. they said, we're going to go get after these hogs. Like you sit out here in the blowdown. Dad took my gun. And them hogs doubled back on them and started coming after me. Really? And that, yeah, and that blow. I mean, yeah. they wasn't coming after me, but they was coming toward that blowdown. Right. I thought I was about to die out there because <laughs> all the talk wide heard is, "Watch out for these hogs. They're mean, son. They yeah. got they got some sharp tusk on them." And I thought, Lord of mercy, I don't even know how old I was. And then you you killed that one. I don't know how far you was from us, and yeah. there was this faint echo through the woods that. To the
1: deep. <laughs> <laughs> and you could hear it
3: through the woods. Yeah. And corn done got him one.
1: <laughs> done took him to the deep. So yeah. I remember that guy. I remember, uh, I think his name was Wesley. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I remember. Got the best
0: dang memory of anybody how, I know.
1: Do y'all remember how he was breathing, like walking around? I don't it remember. Was, it was like Job of the Hut. I mean, it was just <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> But I I remember this story about these pigs that ha- they had brought in from Canada, and they're they're real live Russian boars. When you kill one, it's got a tag in its ear. You'll see. <laughs> I remember that was a that was a fun hunt, man. there was blood going
3: everywhere. Yeah. The pork chop was making its rounds, man. Every time it come down, there was something getting thrown. Did
0: right. you tell and the d- people that this was in like a forty acre fence?
1: And that was unbeknownst to me till we got down there. <laughs> Chad set that, this hunt up. Did Chad set it up? Yeah, Chad did. Chad's like sounds
3: like something dad would set up. Chad's, does. Like,
1: Chad's like, I set us up on this awesome hog hunt, Randolph County, Alabama. I was <laughs> like, all right, we'll go. We will we all get there that night, and we stay in this big lodge. You know, I feel like Jim Shockey get up in the next morning. And they're like, get in pork chop. And they's got, they got a van with no windows in it. And we decided to go down there in August. You know, it ain't but 9,000 degrees. <laughs> And we pull up to this gate, and I'm, I notice this hog wire fence. And he's like, "Somebody open the gate." So we open. I was like, "All right, big man." He talked. He said, "You can hunt that stand right there." I was like, "Well, is this like a cross fence?" Well, Why? No, this these animals is in this fence. I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> cuh. All these pigs and Spanish goats and ibex and uh-huh. all these other fancy goats
0: this was a bunch of rednecks that bought a 40 acre tract of land and built a fence around it and accumulated a bunch of goats and hogs and turned them loose in it
5: right let me
2: be clear if i show up to go hunting somewhere and they tell me to get in pork chop i'm not
1: hunting anymore Coney, now hold on no
2: way something called Uh, pork chops gonna
1: get me to my destination do you realize how you're dressed
3: yeah. You look like you could be
1: called Pork Chop. <laughs> like, like if there was a Hot Wheel van and the name of it was Pork Chop and it had a little guy that you could put in the van, I, I feel like it would look just like you. Uh, I must
0: say, though, you have good taste in overalls, Cooney. You Co- have very good taste in overalls.
1: Cooney don't play with his overalls at all. Yeah. I he do.
3: saves them pinstripe ones for the. Uh,
1: all those
0: things are freaking yeah. epic
3: yeah.
1: Dude. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely i got one more story and then one question i'm gonna let y'all go if y'all got time
0: yeah go ahead man
1: talking about unusual things remember that uh hold on you got any snuff on you i do not i got you ain't got no snuff i got some in the truck oh no, i'm good okay. i'm glad
3: you don't this is the start of a good thing <laughs> uh
1: that hunting club you had in treat mountain yeah yeah that they, that they uh put the pot plants on oh yeah did <laughs> uh i never did hear did y'all end up calling the law on that or because uh, we had talked you know should we call the law because you know up there in easton hill georgia they will burn your car to the ground and yeah and everything else What whatever, whatever come no
3: whatever. we never did call the law but i was always a little bit worried so we put in a food plot and uh didn't realize that we had plowed up these jokers pot plants i mean bunch of them yeah and we hung a stand on the food plot and i just thought i think i only hunted that stand maybe once but i thought i ain't about to go because them jokers are probably going to be waiting to see who hunts this stand because they're mad i mean right. that folks make a living out there off of that right. stuff <laughs> it, right. but uh no i don't think i don't think we ever did call the law on nothing but I just kind of steered clear what, of that stand.
1: What, we're going to do another podcast that's going to do like the old timey Deep South stories. And I'd i been thinking about that because we're going to do one, you know, something on Ethan Hill, you know, the history of it and the, the lore behind it and the yeah. myths and the truths, you know what I mean? So I was, got me to thinking about that.
0: Well, speaking of the law, we used, to, when, when I was active duty, we used to hunt in Arkansas, and we used to train on this impact area. It's where they dropped live ordnance, and we trained out there. And um, this thing was like, this thing was like sixty thousand acres. I ain't never been hunted. I, I mean, I, I mean, since like since the military owned it and turned it into an impact area, which was probably shortly after World War Two. And I remember you could sit up in them tree stand, you could sit up in your stand out there, and you could rattle with your rattle bag every 15 minutes, and you would have three to five 10-point to 12-point mature bucks come in to you, to you. I'd get done with a four-hour hunt, and my forearms would be sore from rattling so much. And you would just pass them deer up. Right. You, you were waiting for, for one that was like, you would see some out there that were just like ungodly, man. Really? And uh, that's who, you know, you got, once you killed you a few of them 10 points, 12 points, you, you were like, <laughs> I ain't messing with these things no more. But the caveat to this is it was highly illegal for us to be hunting that. Right. Um, but we knew the range schedule. Right. And uh, there was a game warden out there, and... He knew he knew what was going on and he had a dog. He had one of the best tracking dogs I ever seen. It was legendary. it was a lab and it could track people. So when that was some of the funnest hunting I've ever done in my life because you were hunting this area that was just untouched. Uh, it was unbelievable right as far as deer hunt's concerned but the whole time you had to remain completely clandestine because you knew this dude this dude was hunting us wow. he, like really he was he was out dude he pulled all kinds of stuff to try to catch us and and he had a dog right so i mean you had to stay sharp you had to pack everything in and out of that place you had to remain completely clandestine you killed a deer, there won't no dragging it out to the truck. It was you had you had to quarter it, clean it right there, and then you had to pack out a different way than you came in and call for extract. And I'm
1: talking about this was this Call was, for extract.
0: I'm talking about, man, it was awesome, dude. But anyways, um the 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 year after I hunted that place for a whole season, me and a buddy of mine. And the year after that, that game warden, he used to park his boat under our shed at, at on our little, at our complex, right? Well, somebody somewhere told him he couldn't park his boat there no more. So they made him come get his boat. And after that, he pulled all the stops out, son. Really? He was literally putting sensors on our gate to know when we was coming in. Really? And that next year, he caught my buddy uh-uh. with that dog. My buddy was sitting in his stand, and here come that dog, man. And got him, son. Dad, <laughs> Hey, I'm not an advocate for breaking hunting laws. This was right. a unique scenario. Right, right,
1: right. There you go. Cody, what you think? I yeah. remember seeing some of them in pictures. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. And it, you, you told the story of sneaking you snuck up on a coyote that was bedded on the side of a creek no
0: no i used to go in there in the summertime and hunt hogs in that same area and uh i was out there with my same buddy that i deer hunted with and i had i was hunting with a recurve bow at the time biggest buck i've ever killed was with a recurve bow i love hunting with them but it's hard it's real hard but you know i had killed a few hogs with it well my buddy was out there hunting and my buddy said uh, he, he had went down to the store and got him a hog call. And uh, he said, man, I'm going to try to blow this thing, see what happens. We ain't seen no hogs. And he hit that thing, went to squealing on it. It sounded awful. I guess it was supposed to be hogs fighting each other or something. I mean, right. it was terrible. And by the time he stopped, we looked up in front of us, and here come two coyotes down off the ridge. I mean, in a just beelining right at us. We saw them four or 500 yards out coming down the ridge. And, uh man, they run right up in our laps. And I drew back with that recurve bow, and the first one, they crossed a the creek and kind of came out of a little piece of brush there, and I nailed that sucker, dude, right. from probably 30 yards. That was an awesome shot. I'll never, I will never—I can picture it in my mind now. You know, when you shoot a recurve bow, it's not like shooting a compound. It doesn't zip the arrow near as fast as a compound so when you draw back with that recurve and you release it you can see that arrow just arc straight into the animal and then just hit the animal and disappear you know and yeah that's the that's the only coyote i've ever killed with a bow i've tried to kill others with a bow before but gosh they're sharp dude but man that hog call brought them right in our laps dude
1: shoot yeah coney was shooting the recurve a little bit but he sort of yeah sort, sort of. of backed off on it son. you got
0: to stay on it if you're yeah. gonna hunt with one you got to shoot it every day it's yeah. such a perishable skill
1: that uh like i said I, I listened to y'all's latest episode uh situational awareness and y'all was talking about the hikers that died in china and other hikers and ultra runners that go out into the wilderness and we just did a podcast a couple two podcasts ago where we run into some hikers where we was deep back through the country. Now deep for us, hunting from the truck, we're like three quarters of a mile. Yeah. But we're heading in a direction that's three or four miles with no trails crossing, no trails coming to. The only place you're gonna to park to be where we're at is where we parked. And we run into some hikers and the hunt that's going on right now is for coyote and hogs, in which the hunters are required to wear orange. And we did the podcast, and I said, "Well, I'm going to talk to some people that hunt that, you know, hike and run the run the trails through the woods because they come from a really long way, and they was doing. I'm assuming they was uh, doing some type of exercising with some speed walking because they was getting it, son." I mean, they was just right before jogging, but they was flying. No orange. Tee totally oblivious to the fact that anybody could be out there hunting. Made the comment, oh, we we don't never see nobody back there. And we had basically hunted out there the majority of turkey season, the same times that they were, and we were oblivious to them. Now, with that being said, we, we realized the – identifying your target is solely on the hunter and i know y'all are coming from a hunting background but these these people y'all ultra run run with when y'all do the basic course do y'all talk about hey these situational awareness of there's other people out here with weapons intending to shoot these weapons at games Y'all talk about that. Think, think yeah.
0: about it. We can't help, but talk about it right. when we, when we pull up in the parking lot and there's an army of bear hunters and yep. right. you know, there there's guys literally walking through our campsite with rifles on their right. back and you know, we get it and, and we talk about it. And, and I think that it's something that needs to be talked about. Cause I think what we need to understand as Americans is all that land that's our land. Everybody right? has it's, the right to it. It's everybody's land, and, yeah. and we explain that to our students, and it's real easy for these outdoorsy type, you know, a lot of these people that come out here and trail run and stuff, they don't live out here. This is a destination for them. They come out here, and they inject themselves into this environment, and they're not part of the local community. And I think a lot of them get pissed off that, what are y'all doing out here hunting? Well, will you have – you have a right to be out there hunting, right? The same as they have a right to be out there running, right? And that's the way we we are never disrespectful to hunters that a hunter that might walk right through our campsite. Uh, we we had a dog on one course that followed us for a whole day. Yeah, I mean, right. just follow. You know, it was a bear dog, and um, right. you know that's part of we we have we're we're blessed to have both. Uh, viewpoints because we're hunters but we're also backpackers and runners right um and I think that's the important part that people need to realize is man we are so blessed in America to have public land I mean it it is it's a true blessing uh but it's not just your land it's everybody's land right and we should be if we can we should all use it responsibly and respect each other now i will say something about hunters because i talk bad about i don't want to say i talk bad but i said you know a lot of these ultra runners inject themselves in this environment and then they get pissed off because they don't and let me tell you something about hunters hunters have earned a bad reputation for themselves in a lot of people's eyes because generally hunters do not understand leave no trace principles you know, we teach our students, when our students are out in the wilderness environment, we have little shovels, trowels. And if you have to take a crap, you have to dig a hole and you have to bury it and properly dispose of that waste. Right. That's part of us using that environment responsibly, right? Um, we, it, let me tell you right now, if one of our students drops a, a piece of garbage the size of a pinhead, I will find it, and I will hammer them for it, right? The amount of trash that hunters and outdoorsmen and fishermen go down here to Johns Creek at the end of this summer.
3: Probably right now. Don't even wait till the end of the summer.
0: There's it, some left it over. It is absolutely horrendous, Right? and it's all trout fishermen. I mean, the environment is totally destroyed, mm-hmm. all right? Hunters as a whole, I don't want to say as a, no, not as a whole. There's a large majority of the hunting and fishing population that call themselves outdoorsmen that have absolutely no idea how to use that environment properly. And so a lot of the tension between hunters and, and backpackers is because of that reason. Right. And hunters need to educate themselves on leave-no-trace principles, and they need to abide by that. And yes, it takes extra work, and yes, it takes integrity, and yes, it takes packing your trash out and having attention to detail when you might – peel open a candy bar and you leave a little bitty speck of plastic there on the ground, yeah, it means that you, before you stand up and move, you look around you and make sure there's nothing left. When we camp in an area, when we get up, when we get up from the night uh, in the morning, when we get up and we pack our tent up, we actually take handfuls of, of leaves and we scatter them over the area that we just got up from so we don't leave that print on the ground where we've pressed the ground down where we've slept on it, right? Um, we don't stack rocks on it. There, there are there there's a there's a lizard in these mountains in in Appalachia called a hellbender,
5: right? Yeah. And
0: a, a hellbender uses these. They they live and feed under these rocks in these rivers and stuff. And people want to stack these rocks up and make rock corns because they think it's cute. That's freaking bull crap, man. There should be no evidence whatsoever that you were there. Right. You don't pee in crap near a water source. So, don't just learn how to hunt. Like, part of using this environment responsibly is way bigger than just managing the wildlife's population which is what hunters do well. Right. All right? But that's where a lot of that tension's coming from, man. I'm telling you. And that yeah. even
3: goes beyond keeping... The, I mean, it, it's certainly most importantly to keep the area pristine. But, you know, something I didn't even realize is that, like, us roughing up that area where we slept, it's not that that made an impact on the area. It It's uh, making it appear as it was when we got there. So... It's being respectful of other people's experience in the wilderness because if you roll up on something and you can and you can see what someone has done or they've left something there, then it takes away from your experience, right? You're right. like, man, right I, I thought I was way back here in the woods and here's some dang trash someone's left. this looks like something back home. I was trying to get away from all this crap. so it goes beyond even preserving the wilderness area or you know the woods that you're in. It also goes into looking out for other people's experience that are right. out there too.
1: Well, what I've seen to find is, um, it, and this is no knock on the hikers, it seems the hikers are more surprised that the hunter is there. You see, I'm Not upset that the hunter is there, but more surprised. Oh, I didn't know somebody was out here hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, those five, five food plots you just walked by could potentially have some hot lead coming through them yeah you know what i'm saying if if there would have been some pigs in there and you're on the other side you could potentially be on the opposite end of something you know what i mean
0: that's because most of the most of the hikers and backpackers again they are they're not part of a lot of times they're not part of or they didn't grow up in the in the local uh community like like i say man they're they're driving from Roswell they're driving from Atlanta they're driving from Kennesaw, they're driving from all these places to come out here and inject themselves in this environment so they yes they they have no yeah. and that's on them man like yeah. you 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 know you should study the area that you're going to whether you're a hunter or you're a backpacker or an ultra runner And you should know, you should have an understanding of what's going on out there, man. Right. You know, who else is, what season is it? Is hunting allowed out here? You know, and, you know, that just goes back to taking responsibility for yourself. Right. And that's part also of using that, this public land that we have responsibly is having an understanding of
3: who is using it.
5: That's right. Absolutely.
3: You know, public land means that it's public. Yeah. You know, that's what people don't realize. Anybody can go use
0: it. And I don't think the American people, whether you're a hunter or an ultra runner, I don't think you even, uh, a lot of you don't even understand the concept of public land. Cause I'm here to tell you if it was your land, unless you're just a straight up piece of crap, you wouldn't dump a bunch of trash on your land. You wouldn't pollute your own water source. You wouldn't do that stuff, right? And I don't think you understand. That is your land. You like you paid for that.
5: Right. You know? That's right. Absolutely. That's sixty
0: eight thousand dollars in taxes I paid this year. That bought me an acre. Of that pub, paid for an acre. Of that public land up there.
1: <laughs> Believe that it's <laughs> my on the land right there. Right, huh? my gosh, trout fishermen need to get their trash out. No, off only of
0: about only about fifty cents of that went to that That's right. that acre of public get land. at.
1: Yeah. yeah, Cooney, you've talked everybody's head off. I know
2: How my hair's I?
3: falling out. You've talked so
2: much. I know I shouldn't talk as much as I do.
1: Do you got anything?
2: I don't. Think so,
1: Blake. I'm good. Chad,
0: dang Cooney, you can't even tell me thanks for coming on the podcast The red blooded American oh, thank you podcast
2: for coming man. on the
1: red blooded outdoors podcast. <laughs> outdoors? You can't even tell thank me, you, Blake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I gave him a chance to do the send off, and then he's like, uh, "Nah, <laughs> pass."
0: Hey, look, podcasting is is an art. And you have to stick with it to get good at it. Yeah. You really do. I mean, it, it's it's a look. If you're listening to this and, and you're friends with Brian and, and and Cooney, you you probably don't understand how much effort it takes to do a show like this. It takes a lot of work to do this and to do it right. Yeah. Um, so don't just think, oh, anybody could do this. No, there's an art to it. Anybody can do it. Right. You just gotta stick with it long enough to the point that you're like, This is what I do, man. I'm I, I do podcasts and, and you, you get much better at it. Yeah. I mean, if I was to go back and listen to one of my first episodes that we released, oh gosh, I probably wouldn't there's probably no way I would even get through it. I mean <laughs> because it, it's it's a it is it's a labor of love and the uh, the art of it will come. As long as you stick with it and you're enjoying it, you also have to right. enjoy it, even though it is a lot of work you gotta find the enjoyment for me from podcasting is seeing the impact it makes right uh, that's yeah. really the the biggest return on investment yeah that you get.
1: that's what I enjoy the uh like I said, when we first started the the circle that that comes with it and truth over entertainment I ain't worried about making nobody happier listening to our stories, you know what I mean yeah I, w- I want to hear some meats
0: yeah well daggone there was some daggone meat on this and you know i i I hope you know i I hope and pray that people understand that especially the conversation revolving around memorial day and veterans and stuff i I hope you can understand that you know guys this is just my perspective and and i i have to be honest with you about the way i feel absolutely um and you know that's where i am on it and uh, i'm not here to to offend anybody or rub anybody the wrong way purposefully, but I'm not going to hold back on the way I think just to please somebody. That's right. So.
1: Appreciate y'all letting us use the three or seven headquarters. Appreciate what y'all are done, what y'all have done for me, my kids, my family. I appreciate the living examples that y'all are. To my kids and to myself, I I feel in a lot of ways I've seen y'all come up as kids and y'all are at a a pinnacle. You know what I'm saying? Y'all are my some of my mentoring people now. You, does that make sense to you? It uh, I, I truly feel that way. Glory
0: well, so, be to God, man. Lord I, knows I'm uh, we 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 honored to
3: to do it. I so, appreciate you having us on your show, too. Yeah, really, this was awesome, man. It was a great yeah. time. I
0: can
2: guarantee you I didn't hold nothing back on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a question. Are these OR hats? Are these something that the whole 3 of 7 team has to wear? They've all the got hats. them.
0: <laughs> it's just, to be honest with you, it's just a good hat. A That's good all it is. Hat. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we have uniform shirts that, that we wear as instructors, but these hats are just good hats, man i mean in the summertime you can't beat them
2: yeah they look like they'd be really cool
0: they are they're so cool and just light they don't hold sweat and get nasty as crap so i might i might get you one of these cooney
1: Yeah, had to be extra large
2: yeah
3: they're adjustable
2: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah well, well all right y'all we're gonna holler at you
2: yep deuces